0: Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad and we are the official podcast of the MTG at Home Discord server. If you're excited about Zendikar Rising and you want to sleeve up some proxies to play some paper magic again for the first time in perhaps months, go ahead and hop in the description down below, click the link, join the server, play some paper magic with myself, Matt, and oh my god, we have Alex back this week. Hello, Alex. I have returned! It's, it's finally, uh, we got the band back together, uh, we're here. And I, th-
1: I thought like, oh wait, but this is just the Zendikar top 10, so this is like the easy content one, I'll be back. <laughs> no difficult meta discussions,
0: just excitement. Alex, how is uh your, uh, your new job that you started? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's
1: uh, The start's a bit slow. Uh, as I'm running an internship, and I have to do research. And the first two weeks was literally just reading up on things. So the first week, I spent four days in a row, nine to five, literally just reading reports and past research, which got a bit tiring near the end. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's hopefully going to become a bit more exciting. Uh, at least the place to work is quite nice. Working That's from good. home is different, but... No travel time.
0: That's the new COVID world.
1: I work uh, in location one day a week, and uh, the rest of the time I can wake up late, so that's good.
0: Yeah, my uh, I know my dad has been telling me because he's gone remote for his job, so he usually would like get up at like 5 a.m., get ready, and sit in traffic for like an hour and a half to get to work. And now he rolls out of bed at like 7.05, and he turns, us, turns on his laptop at like 7.58, and he's like, yep, we're doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Honestly,
2: much better, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. Matt, how are you? How uh, have you been And you were off last week?
2: I'm great. I had to recover. I was very sick. Sorry, I had to miss the interesting discussion you had that I haven't listened to, and therefore don't know what you guys actually talked about. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but other it, than that,
2: it was fun. living the dream.
0: Well, that's good, and uh, we are definitely living the dream here because we finally have Zendikar Rising officially spoiled in completion. So, if you want to check that out, I'll have the links down in the description below, so you can kind of see the cards that are coming out. But the big thing is, we are the Pioneer Perspective, so of course. We got to figure out what these cards are going to do and the impact they're going to have on the Pioneer format as we know it today, or as we might know it in the future. I don't know. So we're going to go in order. Uh, we have our top tens. We're kind of going to, you know, get into it, and we'll just go through, you know, number ten. Everyone gives their spiel, and we just go from there. Pretty straightforward. Um, before we start, though, I will say the one thing that will not be on this list for anybody will be the Pathlands. We understand how powerful those lands are and how much they're going to have an impact on the format. It just seems really boring to have it in everyone's list and take up a slot because it's just a given. Any new land cycle and even reprinted land cycles into a format will always make a difference no matter what they are. So, kind of boring.
2: I was going to say, before we get into the top 10, should we each give a little 45 second explanation of how we arrived at our top 10 lists?
0: Um, yeah, we can do that. Uh, I can uh, start real quick because I actually had mine written down because we talked about this earlier. So basically, mine was based on a few things. The way I evaluated all the cards is I looked at it as cards that will have an immediate impact on the format, slotting into already existing decks and archetypes, and then cards that will resurrect decks that have existed throughout the format but are currently not strong enough to keep up with the top decks now. So think about like... Enchantress, um, the traditional Monogreen ramp, um, like mono red Eldrazi stuff like that, um, and then lastly cards that are clear build arounds that might not have a place in a deck right now, but they're strong enough to warrant being the main focus of a new deck, providing that the tools already exist to help break them into Pioneer. So the, the you know the bare bones has to be there. And, and you know, exist in the format to help build around them. And then this card is just like, oh yeah, uh, this, this helps break that kind of uh, strategy. And that's pretty much it. Alex, what about you? Yeah, so um,
1: I didn't, this kind of sounds weird, I didn't necessarily pick cards just to, like, on straight power level, because otherwise like, everything would just be like the mythics, because they're the most impactful cards individually. Um, I more picked on cards that either um, fit into a plan that already exists uh either fix a problem a plan currently has or um a card that does something unique so like maybe it gives uh an effect to a certain strategy that it didn't have before so that's sort of the few metrics i've gone off i feel like all these cards bar like my number 10 but i'll get into that when we start talking all have a more of a when will they be great. Not an if they will be great, but not every card will like immediately be an instant four-off come next week. But I do think they're all individually powerful cards.
0: And Matt, how did you get to uh, your conclusions for your cards? I know you started out trying to have some
2: kind of philosophy. Uh, What was that? Yeah, so originally I started out by just looking at the top five decks, according to MTG Goldfish, the top five meta decks. And I looked at meta share, not necessarily win rate. So just the top five most played decks. And I said, if you're going to be on this list, you either have to slot well into one of those decks or you have to be a very good counter against one of those decks. Problem is, as I was looking, I'm like, I can't make 10 cards out of this. So we, I sort of shifted strategies a little bit and I still have most of the cards that I found from there. But I also just found some cards that may not be super good great but they're definitely playable and they definitely will have some fun times i think some of my cards will be more of like one of just to throw a little spice into the game rather than four of because it makes the deck objectively better every time
1: i think a thing we noticed with zendikar and i believe this is officially stated by mark rosewater is that this is the first set where since war of the spark they were like whoa i think we've got a down on the power level here and this is the first set where that, like, really came into design. And to an extent, I think it shows, but not in a bad way. Like, yeah. I think there are no... There's, it's hard to see, like, Uros or Okos in this set, but I think that's a good thing. I will say there are also some cards that I noticed, which I actually felt like were very powered down. Like, some cards were like, wow, you could have taken off a whole mana of this. So I do feel like there are actually some cards so they like didn't make the list. I was like, man, this could have actually been an interesting card were it a little bit more powerful. They sort of shaved power across the board, which I don't think is necessarily bad. But I felt like the main design problem in recent years is that the top cards are ridiculous. So yeah. they should more shave off the top. I don't think they have to shave overall. So we're seeing that in this set.
0: Yeah, in this set, certainly no Ixalan, anything like that. It, it definitely feels like there are going to be some powerful cards, and oh yeah, for that's sure, what we're going to be talking about. It's definitely um, no Homelands. Yeah, um, <laughs> but
1: it is more fun and more powerful
0: than Homelands. Don't worry about it. But if yeah, if, like you said, if this is what the next year of Magic is going to look like, you know what? Actually, before we get into our top ten list, Alex, I do want to ask you something. Um, mm-hmm. We obviously talked about in one of the casts, uh, not last week but the week before, the new uh, uh, time frame and the roadmap for uh, mm-hmm. Magic in 2021. What set out of those sets are you most excited for? Ooh, it's it's difficult
1: because I'm honestly quite excited for pretty much the whole year. I think every set, like in concept, looks great. I like the themes of all of them. Now I'm uh, I'm also Dungeons and Dragon player. So, Forgotten Realms seemed very exciting to me. But I also really like wizards and magic. So, the quote unquote Harry Potter set with Strixhaven seems very interesting to me, especially on the cast. You went into some ideas for like maybe how they could have done it. And then maybe that like green isn't just like tree huggers, but they also have some interesting ideas for it. And I was listening to that podcast. And I suddenly have like this flash of genius, and it's like, please be five houses, and they are houses. You know, go with the Harry Potter theme, and have them be the shards of Alara. I would yeah, be blown away if that happens. I was like, you, I think, yeah, I think you mentioned that, and I was like, oh my god, we could have a like a, a school of Grixis. I would be beyond excited.
0: Yeah, we got the wedges in Ichoria, so it would make sense to like a year later to just be like, you know, let's explore the other half of that. But.
1: I think the theme also just helps, and this is this is more like, like a personal thing, but they had it for example with Ikoria, right? Where you can get people into the game because it's like, oh, big monsters and beasts and blah blah blah, which is really yeah. cool. And a lot of people have gone on about Strixave and be like, oh, it's gonna be the Harry Potter set, blah, blah, blah. Apart from like JK Rowling's comments in recent times, which are not great, you know. Let's hope there's not a JK Rowling reference card. Um, overall, I don't think it's bad if it takes inspiration from Harry Potter. Let's be honest. Overall, Harry Potter's pretty cool, and it also just gets people into the game. I know people who I could get excited to try Magic if they see a set and it reminds them of Harry Potter.
0: Of course, that do you, like they, they did a poll or whatever, and they showed like an incredible amount of people that hopped on during Eldraine. because it you know they yeah. everyone has that nostalgia factor. I mean, it, like again, like my thing, I popped into uh, into Magic because there was an Egyptian set. Now, mine's a little bit more niche than most, but that's still something that pulled at, like, my heartstrings, and I was like, that's so cool, that's what my childhood was, and stuff like that, so that's why I'm playing the game. Everyone has that kind of mythological or, like, you know, story you read as a kid or something you were into when you are growing up, like Harry Potter, or, you know, and I think the entirety of next year is doing that very well. You have a Viking set which I know a lot of people that are really into the Norse kind of like yeah, Celtic yeah. Viking kind of lore and stuff like that. Um, then you have the Harry Potter thing, and a lot of people loved reading Harry Potter growing up. I definitely read the books. Uh, D&D, that alone is a, an amazing crossover that's long overdue. I don't even play D&D, and I think that's super cool, and I'm excited for it. And then lastly, so you just have the very straightforward vampires and werewolves, which maybe not With as why much as like the other ones. Yeah, is I was it, is say. it
1: like was it like uh, team, team Edward or team something i don't know it was team like a and few... Jacob. yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah like i was going to say like it may not be directly in reference to twilight but that might <laughs> you know scratch that itch for some people or provide some type of um but, you know yeah like
1: what would be better a better way to pull people into magic or potentially at least show <laughs> them magic than like if there's a card in call time that's like clearly a reference to thor and it's, like, spoiled by, like, Chris Hemsworth. Is it Chris Hemsworth? God, it's... Yes. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth on Twitter. And he's like, look at this, it's me.
0: Well, they've already right? done something like that, right? They did that yeah, like the guy who played Bran in Game of Thrones. He's, he's the one who spoiled um, uh, Kenrith. Yeah, like, how cool would that be? Like, do that again, right?
1: Yeah. Like, use your spoiler season and your themes as free advertisements so you can focus your budget on actually making a cool game. Right, and let the advertisement do itself. I don't mind it at all. I'm very excited for next year. Like, I'm gonna be honest, last year I heard um, we had Eldrain and Theros and Ikoria and a Teferi themed (laughs) core set. I'm gonna be honest, if you asked me last year, like exactly a year ago, how excited are you for Magic come next year? It'd been okay. Like, sure, it looks pretty cool. This year, I'm definitely more excited for the next year in Magic.
0: And the extra set seems cool, the double uh, Innistrad set, which, you know, Innistrad is just a really cool plane on its own, regardless of the vampire-werewolf thing. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that we're getting three potential new planes. Yeah, exactly. And imagine—and people are maybe, like,
1: wary of, like, oh, you know, it's going to be, like, a vampire set and a werewolf set, and it seems so, like, on the nose with the theme. I wouldn't worry too much. No. Like there's like 250 cards in a set. Even if the set is called the Vampire set, there's probably going to be like, I don't know, 30. <laughs> and the rest of it's just going to be other cards. So I wouldn't worry on that front at all. We're like the get...
0: Ooh, Alex. You know what cards we're definitely going to get that are if if Silver Smoke Ghoul is any any inclination or, you know, spoiler for what we're getting in this Innistrad set?
1: We're going to get half zombie, half werewolf, or half Which zombie, half I don't,
0: vampire. I don't give any... And I, don't, I don't care. I don't care about the half part. I'm caring about that zombie half, because I want yeah, to see what yeah. we get into the zombie decks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, but yeah, let's, let's go ahead and start you know, getting uh, started with our top 10s. We'll go ahead and just start with 10. We'll go, th- we'll go in order. I guess we'll go with uh, Alex, then myself, then Matt. That seems to be the order that uh, Discord has provided for us, so easy peasy. Sure. Uh, so, kicking off with number 10, Alex, what do you got? Alright, my number 10 is actually
1: maybe a bit of an oddball one. It's Resolute Strike, which some people have Ooh. called a fun draft common trick. And I think the card has so much more potential than that. So, for the people who don't know what it does, it is, um, in essence, a combat trick. It's one in a white. Tar- for an instant, target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If it's a warrior, you may attach an equipment you control to it. Now, the main thing that got me excited, but I'll go into a little more detail, is when I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, you go with your Embercleave and, you know, maybe like Embercleave and they kill your one creature. So instant speed, you give plus two, plus two, and you throw the Embercleave on an unblocked creature and you one-shot your opponent. I had like this vision. It's like, wait, Goblin rabble Rebel Master is a warrior, right? And I looked it up, and it is. Like, can you imagine your opponent like attacking you with a bunch of creatures and one of them is a Rebel Master, and they go and equip Embercleave on something that isn't the Rebel Master? You might actually just have to take it. Because if you try and remove the Embercleave creature, they're going to slap their Embercleave on the Rebel Master, and you're actually just going to be dead. Yeah. Now, this is almost more like a, a seed-ish card, because I'm convinced we're going to get more warriors in time. Like, oh, yeah, I we cannot imagine a set called Kaldheim with a Nordic theme is not going to have warriors. Like, come on. Because there's been some reasonable warriors. There was actually a warrior theme in Tarkir, so maybe we go like, Mardu warriors with an equipment. There's a lot that has to work, but I feel like if that strategy works, this is probably the glue. Like, mm-hmm. we've seen, especially now in Zendikar, we've seen cards that are, like, equipment, they come in, they're actually pretty good, And they equip once for free, but the time after is a really expensive equip. So being able to cheat on that cost is great. And this is not magnetic theft, where people might like compare it to, where it's like, oh yeah, equip a creature. If you throw an equipment onto a creature, that plus two plus two is probably going to be a lot of value. Maybe you're trampling over, you're gaining life with lifelink, the double strike turns it into four damage. Like, I honestly think this card is. Pretty solid if an aggro warrior strategy comes together.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, yeah, I didn't even I think that's a really cool card. I didn't even consider it for the list. Um But yeah. I just about I had
1: all my cards ranked, and this was at one point at like about 20, and I just went over every card that I thought had reason, and then I just went like, is this better or worse than the card above? And I went at Resolute Strike, and I sort of like talked to myself and convinced myself. I was like, wait, it's better than this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And it just slowly crept into my top 10. And then at one point, it was like at number six. And I was like, this is too ambitious, but I didn't want it to be on the list.
0: So that's why I put it on number 10. Yeah, I can respect that. Uh, so going into my number 10 now, Alex, I want you to think about when Pioneer first started, OK? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the top deck was in the very beginning of the format for the first oh. round of bands? Well,
1: that was either mono green or copycat, I think. Or am I missing a deck? I think it was mono green. It was the one where you get there like was, the lay was line was of one, there, was a, there was a
0: third, yeah, mono green was definitely in it. Um, but there was a third deck that was certainly involved in these top three.
2: It's I'm a card that we've,
0: we've seen banned in just about every single format, pioneering up Field of the Dead. Field of the Dead, yes. Scute Swarm is my number 10 for this list. I think it's okay. It's not Field of the Dead. We get that. But it has the potential to be a card that is certainly good enough. Can to you be a build around.
1: read it out for me again? Oh, of course. I might not know from the top of my head what this card does.
0: Scute Swarm. It is two and a green, three mana for a 1-1 Insect. And it has Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 green insect creature token. If you control six or more lands, create a token that's a copy of Scute Swarm instead. So this snowballs hard. Now look, the floor is is you know, is pretty moderate. Abysmal. It's a it's a three it's a three mana one one <laughs> that gets shocked. Yeah. That feels bad. However, the deck that this is going to be successful in is not a deck that's going to play this on curve. It's, this is the win con of the deck. If you scapeshift with this card on board, you're immediately having six, six lands, right? And it goes 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, and it just keeps going. So the amount of copies you can make with this is just insane. And Yeah, I get it. A sweeper hits it, whatever, and there, there are downsides. But there are upsides, too. Uh, It dodges Fatal Push, uh, at least an unrevolted uh, Fatal Push, and that's pretty important. Um, There's no fetch lands in the format, so a revolted Fatal Push is not too common. You need, like, Fable Passage, or you got to do some kind of trick where you chump block, let something die, and then do it, or whatever. Um, The only things that really consistently hit it as far as, you know, removal that's going to feel bad are going to be Shocks and Wild Slash. You're only really seeing Wild Slash... um, Frankly, you're not seeing shocks at all because of Wild Slash being a card, unless it's in a burn strategy where they want the extra little two damage to the face. Um, but you're only really seeing Wild Slash being played in like Rakdos Pyromancer, Mono Red, and then Boros Burn. The, f- the latter two uh, decks not being that prevalent in the format at the moment, you might run into them every now and then in the league, but you're more likely to run into Pyromancer, obviously. I really think this is a card that can definitely do something in the format. Um, and again, I don't see it as a turn three one one, and then you know every every turn make a, make another one one with some lands, or maybe make two because you're you're getting there. This is certainly something that you're playing more of like on turn six or whatever. You're trying to ramp pretty heavy, get to your six lands the same way that the field of the dead strategies did. Um, and of course, it's not it's not a land that is harder to interact with, and that's the downside. But the same way that field of the dead got pretty out of, out of control this is just a slightly toned down version of that that is more interactable and i think we'll definitely spawn a landfall type of deck that wants to just swarm the board with uh you know this skewed swarm
1: i don't know if matt wants to start with his comments on it or uh, if i will
2: i think it's a fine card i think it'll be pretty good in green shells that's really all i have to say about it
1: Right, so I have a little bit more to say about this because I'm going to be honest. When I saw this card, I was like, oh, great, this is going to be the rare I open a pre release, and I'm going to be sad. That was (laughs) the first thing I thought when I read this card. In limited, this is bad. And um, now, being like a main win condition or something, I'm not really buying it. What I am seeing for this card is the potential. Now, I don't think it's that powerful, but to be like sort of the green pack rat where yeah. you're in like a controlling mirror when you're like base green like i can imagine you're in maybe some sort of maybe we'll get like some teamer dirtle format or four color dirtle format which like there is a four color card in this set that is not black that might spawn entire decks by itself which we'll get into more later and you like want to get like this removal like this thing that's like good at dodging removal and it's really good in like really slow games and I suppose you've got, like, now more spells that can also be lands. so you might have a higher land count in your deck. But I, maybe. I can see this as, like, a fringe sideboard card. Maybe. I'm not very convinced that this is, like, a build-around for your deck. I think this is more like, hey, with what my deck does, this happens to fit in the sideboard. That's where I'd see it more.
0: Yeah, I think both can be appropriate. Um, I'm definitely shooting for a little bit more... Uh top shelf I mean, kind of play.
1: My number 10 was a bit of a dreamer, too. So I can't uh, <laughs> fault you for having a bit of a dreamer card, too.
0: And again, this set isn't anything like we've seen in the last year. Uh, it's not overly powerful where we're just like, holy, like, look at this escape mechanic. That, that's a lot of good cards. Um, so it's, it's a bit... This is actually a good thing that these are our number 10s.
1: Yeah, like, if your number 10 cards aren't like instant slam dunks, that's a good thing. Especially because we have to consider Pioneer is, at the end of the day, an eternal format. Mm. So if, like, every set, 30 new cards creep into an eternal format, that's not necessarily a good thing.
2: Yeah,
0: and these cards only get better with time. That's how it works. Uh, Matt, what's your number 10?
2: My number 10 is a card called Fastwood Surge. It's three and a green. It's a sorcery. It's got a kicker cost of four. And it says, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. If this spell was kicked, put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control.
0: Okay. So a solid and- ramp spell. Kind of like, yeah. um, uh, what's it called? The one from with that searches guild gates too. Uh, Secure. And- oh, how far we have gone from explosive vegetation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So
2: I this card, I know compared to the other two, this card seems relatively powered down. I mean, it's four mana for two lands out of your deck, or you can do eight mana instead and pump all of your creatures. But I think this fits really well into, and of course I'm going to say this, the mono green shell. Just being able to put more forests onto the battlefield early so that you get more value out of Nyssa. You might get more value out of your Wolf Willow Havens things like that and pumping creatures i mean you know the mono green shell runs a lot of fairly weak powered creatures you've got a lot of 11s one some 21s some 22s two things like that so being able to power them up so that they can't be killed by literally anything that your opponent plays is probably a good thing since those are the engine of the deck and so that's why i put this one at number 10
0: yeah um I think it would be if you're just trying to fit it into the deck for like mono green, um, just as a pure way to gramp or whatever, I don't see it being too many copies. Like, because um, I think you want it to be flexible to be able to, you know, on turn four or you know, actually probably earlier than that because it's mono green, um, be able to get your lands out and be like, Yeah, cool, more lands and if you need to take you just don't have your Karn or whatever. It's it's hard to fit in. 'Cause the deck is so fine tuned at the moment. Um, but I can definitely see how powerful the kicker effect can be for all your dorks and stuff like that as well. Um, but that's I mean that's why the deck runs uh, Vivian. Uh you wanna be able to pump your dorks and kinda get in with some damage. Uh but yeah, I mean it, I think the card has potential. Um, certainly in other decks as well. I'm not sure about monogreen uh walkers itself, but a monogreen shell in some form that is a bit more creature lenient, but not Aggressive creature, lenient like uh, Stompy is.
1: Yeah, so I I'm also not seeing this in like any current mono green shell, but I will acknowledge that the kicker effect on a ramp spell is very powerful. Like just by itself, like the fact that your kicker spell can do something else is uh, like your ramp spell early can also is like not a dead top deck, right? Is is a good thing? Now. Where I could see this happen is now, especially with like Monogreen Devotion or even Monogreen Ramp decks we've seen, Ramp decks, they always go tall. So land, 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 Ugin. Land, 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 Ulamog, right? They go into something huge. Now I can imagine maybe even with just a card printed in the future or a card we're not thinking of now that there might be a Ramp deck that goes Ramp, Ramp, Ramp And then goes really wide. Like, I think in Standard, for a short while, we had a ramp deck that then played uh, March of the Multitudes as a ramp. I think it was like a Reclamation Shell, and it had March of the Multitudes as one of its payoffs. And, like, I could see maybe there's a deck like that, in that sense, that then really likes to have, like, a ramp spell that also makes, like, your tokens a better win condition. So I do think it's a very powerful card, but I'm not seeing it pop up Anywhere, anytime soon, unle- it, it could go in the Scuttle uh, Bug deck. You get your lands, you get your copies of your Scuttle Bug, and then you pump them.
2: Yeah. I was also thinking any deck that might rely on Landfall because this just triggers Landfall twice when you cast it.
1: True. I do, I do think there's better ways to do that. The main competition that I see with this card as a ramp spell is a card that I. It's seen play, but Hour of Promise with Landfall, I can just. See, going like hour of promise and find two fable passage
0: yeah just the next turn go
1: crazy on the landfall triggers like even crazier and then i don't think this is good enough i think you want the kicker to be like make it an actively good top deck then i can see this card being pretty reasonable in a ramp style strategy all
0: right let's uh, move on to our number nines alex what do you got
1: all right, this card is way more up my alley, because even though I think Resolute Strike is a cool card, uh, Boros aggro is probably like the thing I would see myself play the least. Mm-hmm. Um, this card is Bloodsheaf's Thirst, which, ah, yes. when it got spoiled, this card got a lot of shit for being a bad Fatal Push, and I think that is totally unjustified. Now, this card is a sorcery, which on removal is big like removal not being instant speed is a big thing but the kicker on it like makes for like an interesting dynamic with existing removal so what i mean by that is in recent times a lot of removal or even just overall a lot of black based removal we now run is cmc based being fatal push as, like, the primary, primary removal spell, which, as we stated, or as Brad stated earlier, is harder to revolt in this format than it is in modern. Right? In for, in modern, Fatal Push might as well say one mana uh, destroy target creature, CMC four or less. That's not the case in Pioneer. Eliminate hits three or lower. And what have people been doing to get Eliminate in their deck? They've been like trimming on Hero's Downfall, which, in like the Demir shells, in Demir Inverter shells, for example, at one point was like a four off because you had to kill Narset and Gideon, and hey, these are all three-mana Planeswalkers, why wouldn't we just run Eliminate? And this can eventually be a problem. If your deck has four Fatal Push, four Eliminate, and your opponent turbos out, or even just plays a turn three Karn, you're like, oops. And in that sense, I think this card can fill a slot. Now, for my list personally, I run three Fatal Push main, and actually one in the side, because it is really good against mono green, but it's mostly just because in my main deck I run into too much CMC restricted removal. I can see one or two Bloodchief's Thirst slipping into controlling or even not controlling strategies like Mono Black, just to get that flexibility back mm-hmm. that you might have lost when you upgraded, quote unquote, to eliminate.
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned sorcery being a downside of this card. Um, I mean, that's almost feels necessary. Um, because if this was an instant speed card, um, you'd just be Goodbye like... Goodbye Fatal this, Push. Yeah, is this better than Fatal Push? Which, I mean, arguably... It yeah, would I would f- say if this really is close. instant
1: speed, it would probably be better than Fatal Push because it hits walkers, and it's just as reliable, pretty much.
0: And, I mean... Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this real quick. The text saying... Destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost two or less. Um... That makes me feel like in the next year we're getting a standard legal two mana planeswalker. It makes me feel like we're, they're, they're hinting at it. Yeah, because I they, mean, they could have easily worded it saying destroy target creature or um, destroy target creature, convert a mana cost two or less. If the spell is kicked, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker. Could have easily just said that.
1: Oh, we're gonna go back to Innistrad, we're gonna get a Tybalt reprint.
0: Oh, that's, that's it. That's great. <laughs> uh, no,
1: they're, they they're,
0: gi- to make they're sure giving us red and to... six.
1: Yeah, they had to make sure that Tybalt doesn't ruin the format again, so they, like, put this in in
0: advance. I mean, at least they're not doing the fry, apo- uh, the fry approach with, uh, with Oko. We're going to do it the other way around. It feels so <laughs> bad to have your face of the set card get fried. Well, yeah!
1: Yeah! I, I mean, I genuinely hope that this wasn't a seed for that, and this is just a nod to Eternal Formats. We'll see. Like a like a nod to modern and a nod to legacy that they're like, hey, uh, this thing can also ruin your opponent's Ren and Six. Enjoy. Mm. I hope it's that. I do not want two mana planeswalkers. If you want two mana planeswalkers, you're gonna need more than discard. You're gonna need to have like spell snare in your format and that yep. sort of stuff.
0: And and Adrian said as Adrian has said in the last two casts he's been on um, that when we're talking about balancing planeswalkers, uh, the lower CMC you get, the harder they are to balance and make playable. Um, because it's so easy to go one end of the spectrum. They can be either just incredibly strong and just too strong, like an Oko or Renin Six and like legacy and stuff like that, or they can just be like, you know, sexy.: <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, or Tybalt. So: uh, Matt, I believe this card exists on your list, so I guess we'll have to hear your beautiful thoughts on it when we approach that. Oh, it's higher. Interesting. Um, my number nine is a card that I will admit is probably going to see far more standard play than Pioneer play. However, we are, in a, we are in the Pioneer format where, of course, Uro is a very strong card and he's going to be around for a long time. I don't see him getting banned in any point in the future. I just don't see it. Not right now. So we'll definitely see more and more Uro decks become a bit more prevalent down the road. That's just how it's going to work as an Eternal format. Confounding Conundrum is a card that I think is incredibly powerful and will see play. And it, it, you can argue it's main deckable. I think it's certainly main deckable in Standard. Pioneer, when we get to that route, we'll see. It is a 1 and a blue 2-mana enchantment that reads, When Confounding Conundrum enters the battlefield, draw a card cool, two mana, draw a card, that's already, you know, that's fine. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a land they control to its owner's hand. This being blue, uh, which is really weird, it feels like it should be a white it card. should have been white. <laughs> yes. Um, we, it feels like we've said this so many times over the last year, when cards have <laughs> like come out, you're like, why isn't this white? This feels white like just gets nothing. White. Like, we even take things away from white. But it being blue is so relevant because Uro is Simic, blue and green. So this goes in, and it it's not symmetrical. It's only for your opponent. So the Uro so players, not. at the very least, have this in their sideboard for the mere matchups against other Uro decks. And you're just like, I get to ramp faster than you can, because you just go, you know, turn turn two, play this, and then turn three, their Uro is just like, oh wh- whatever, like it's just a three mana draw card. Uh, and gain through life. Um, so this is a make or break uh, for that matchup, um, and that's solely what it's for. I think. Um, obviously, it's good against other ramp strategies. If uh, with landfall coming into Zendikar and Matt Summer Ten being a ramp card itself, um, this is certainly good in those matchups as well. And it's, I would, it's not as good against Mono Green Walkers right now because they focus on the dork aspect of it rather than the extra land aspect. But we are seeing Monogreen traditional ramp popping up more and more, and we'll certainly see more uh, decks pop up in that regard because of this set. This is just really good. Just a really good card that, you know, it's not incredibly busted, but it feels like it should be symmetrical. But it is what it is. Um, it's, it's, it's a great card. You want to start us off, uh, Matt, with the reactions?
1: Well,
2: uh, you guys seem to think things are worse than I do, because I also have this card higher, so I will wait.
1: (laughs) Then uh, I will reserve Common, too, for uh, when we get there. I do think it is an interesting pick for the list. It didn't make it onto mine, but I do think it's a very good card. So we'll talk about that card later.
0: All right, Matt, what is your number nine?
2: So my number nine is a card called Relic Robber. And before I go into what it does or anything, I just want to say the only reason this card is on my list Is because when I made my top 10 list, I went back through it and I realized, oh, I don't have a single red card on this list. So I just went and found one that I thought was okay and just popped it into a low spot just so that red was represented. Because as much as I don't like Grixis, you know, I got to represent all the colors. I'm
1: I'm back. Matt had to save up his Grixis shade. So... Relic Robber I listened to your comments. I know even I there was some shade, some Grixis like shade throwing even when I wasn't there. I expected this. <laughs> so
2: Relic Robber is two and a red. It's a two-two with haste. And it says whenever Relic Robber deals combat damage to a player, that player creates a 0-1 colorless goblin construct construct artifact creature token with this creature can't block. And at the beginning of your upkeep, this creature deals one damage to you. So, not too much to say. It's basically, I think if it's going to go in a deck, it's going to go in some sort of mono-red aggro deck where you can hit them for two and then give them a creature that actively damages them every turn. So it's basically just, you get a burn spell for probably only once and then they're going to start trying to take care of it. But, like I said... Not too much to talk about, just the red card to make sure I evened out the color pie a little bit.
1: I mean, I certainly think Relic Robber is a very interesting card. Um, it's one I kind of overlooked. Um, I'll also say the flavor of Relic Robber is absolutely hilarious. People don't know what the card like, looks like. You see this goblin rogue, and he's running off with like, this flaming skull in his hand. And the flavor text is, here, you take it. So he clearly robbed something and then didn't like pulled like an Indiana Jones and like robbed something. And then it turns out to be cursed or something. And it's like, here you have it, which is very goblin y. It's an interesting card. Uh, I can see spots where this is good coming out of a mono red deck. Uh, this looks like the type of deck, like a card, uh, type of card that prevents a super dirtly meta. Because red decks are going to punish you with this. Right, if you're gonna play like some sort of obviously Nexus of Fate is banned, but some sort of like turns deck or just a deck that just goes on forever, I could see this show up. It's cool, it's fun. Uh, I think it's certainly a powerful effect.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely like this card, and you hit the nail on the head, Alex. Uh, the flavor is amazing. Um, <laughs> They've really done a pretty good job with the flavor uh, in this set, from what I've been looking at, and uh, this is, certainly is no different. I think it could be interesting in a uh in like a control matchup for, for the aggro deck that wants to just kind of get in the extra damage or for like a burn style deck or something where that one damage of pinging is relevant to the deck maybe it's a spectacle focused deck or something but yeah I mean it is on their turn uh, upkeep and I don't think that very many of the spectacle decks are instant speed um but still I mean I this probably has a home somewhere uh, maybe it's just in a sideboard this certainly feels like a card that is uh more power that can have the potential to be more powerful than what it looks like on paper we've certainly seen those before
1: i would almost say this doesn't come out of aggressive decks this actually comes out of slow decks like you're playing a slow deck your opponent is anticipating a slow deck you take out your creature removal and your opponent like what most people do in your control decks you keep in like one or two sweepers because just in case you get cheesed And this thing comes down on turn three, like you tap out for whatever, you know, you play Teferi, you, well, I suppose you detect a Teferi, but even that's pretty good. But you just do something, or you like play a tapped land, and you just go, okay, Relic Robber hit you. Now you're going to be pinged for one, so you have 20 turns left to win the game, and I can just sit back and counter your stuff.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, moving on to number eight, Alex, what you got? I have a card
1: that if it was slightly different, was probably number one or number two on the list. It is Skyclave Apparition. And the main thing is, it is a spirit, but it doesn't fly. Now, I'm not saying that all spirits should fly, but if this was a flying card, this card would be so good. But because it doesn't fly, it is, quote-unquote, just really good. There's a lot about this card. That first of all, it goes into spirits potentially, it goes into Coco decks anyway, and it does something that White is is like struggling with recently. Like we've seen so many like like justifiably so like complaints like I would like to stop O-ringing my opponent. Like I would like actual removal. And this is it. This is actual removal. Yeah, it leaves. Your opponent gets a random 4-4 or 3-3. Imagine if you're playing spirits, and oh no, you give your opponent a 3-3. Ah, Nebelgast Herald. It's literally never attacking. Like, it just... I think this card is really good. You can do funny blink shenanigans with it, because it's two separate triggers. So you can play this, target something, blink it in response, and the first card you ever targeted is just not coming back. It's gone. And they're not even going to get a spirit, because it had left the battlefield before that card went to exile because it's two separate triggers
0: we have the one mana blink card right that's specifically for spirits because it gives them like a counter or something oh yeah there's in. a essence flux or something yeah it's in it's also in historic so yeah uh there was actually a deck in
1: modern for a short time a friend of mine played it and it was called spooky texas and it was blue white texas with cards like Spellqueller and stuff in it now we have Spellqueller. we have lavinia we have this, we have the Bling card, we have Teferi, like Ferry. Like, yeah. maybe for like our modern and legacy Texas aficionados, might be something here. And this is just another step towards that deck, which is a, an archetype that, although not always loved to play against, has this cult following oh, yeah. of people who love to play this. And this would be a great step up to get that deck into this format.
0: Well, uh, it's going to be really easy to give you my opinions on this card because it's actually my number eight as well. I think great, this card's mine. good. I like yeah, th- this card's great. Um, I, I love playing spirits. And this is the one thing that... The, this is the biggest thing about this card for me. Right now, um, in Pioneer, we've had three spirit archetypes uh, ro- roaming around. You could argue four, but I'm going to put one of them, or two of them in the same category. You have your Bant Coco variant. You have your Azorius, more tempo-y kind of variant with more counterspells and interaction. And then you have your, you know, your Simic that's pretty much like mono-blue from the last uh, couple years of Standard before uh, the last year's rotation. Um, and then there's also a mono-blue variant of Spirits, which isn't nearly as played as much as the Simic one is, so that I consider that to be the same. Because there's, like, yeah, Cure's Obsession, and that's how you go into it. This card solidifies the idea for me, that we go back into Bant. Because a card that you look at when you look at the Bant sideboards for this, um, obviously you want to tailor your sideboard to be a bit more creature removal focused because of Coco. One card that they played as at least a two of in every sideboard, Deputy of Detention. It's a really good card. Um, It comes in, snags anything. Um, But the problem is, it's a stereotypical prison-y type of effect where it just grabs it, holds onto it underneath Deputy Detention, and when your opponent removes Deputy, they get the thing back. This card doesn't have that problem. It's also a Spirit, so it, you know, it gets buffed, where Deputy Detention you never attack with because that's a 1-3, and if they have anything bigger than a 3-power th- uh, a, a thing, it's just that's damage you're leaving on the board. Um, where this... You snipe a thing, it's gone forever, even if they kill Skyclave, all they get is just an XX illusion. Not even one with reach, not one with flying, so it can't interact with your spirits that can fly, and it's relevant. The damage is relevant from it getting buffed as a spirit, and I, I just think this is better than Deputy, and this is why you go back into ban. You go back into the Cocoa build.
1: I went to play against spirits, and all I got was this lousy token. Yeah. Like... <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. The spirit token is irrelevant. That's almost, it's almost flavor text to me between Shekelgeist and, um, Nebel Guest Herald.
0: And I mean, the flying or the lack thereof, um, is, uh, annoying. Um, I, I actually talked about this last week with Adrian, when we were talking about, uh, the, the mythic demon, that's kind of like, uh, Death Shadow. Oh, um, of the, skyclaves, I think. Yeah, and I was getting a little. I'm like, okay, well, it's a demon that doesn't doesn't have flying. And Adrian was like, yeah, but not every demon has wings, and they can't fly. This is a damn spirit. They all float. They should all not fly all in spirits some way. fly. They should. That's what I'm saying. Like, they should. They float. They have spirits Okay. How about, okay. Okay. But how about this? They should have evasiveness because of the damn spirit that floats through things.
1: They could at least have Menace, or I guess Unblockable. But granted, let's not apply quote-unquote real-world logic to magic. Because we're going to a plane where, you know, the Skyclaves are core ruins that, because of the Eldrazi, these things just decided to take off. Like, they are just in the sky now, when they were on the ground. So I, I guess that's another reason it should have flying if the buildings randomly start flying, why don't the
0: spirits? <laughs> Regardless, this card's great. It's certainly great playable, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to slot right into spirits. Easy. Probably the easiest include on the entire list for anybody. Unless, Matt, what do you think about this card?
2: I think it's fine. I overlooked it, simply for the fact that I think I kind of discount spirits and don't really look at it as a great deck. I, oh. I know it's a lot of play, and a lot you. of different variations. I don't think there's. I don't. I just. I don't think it's a good deck. I think the Coco deck is the best ver- version of it, and I think this will fit fine in there. But I just don't see spirits being the threat that everybody seems to think they are.
1: Maybe I'm I wrong. I think this card might push spirit back towards the top. I don't think it's going to be the top deck, but it it will at least be a contender
0: again. I think. Yeah, have, having a better option of removal um is a always main
1: deckable great. one
0: of course yeah. imagine your opponent taps out to play a
1: wilderness reclamation and on end step you cocoa and hit this with skyclave apparition so they don't even get to untap their lands on their end step like you do at the end of second main phase yeah you hold up like Spellqueller. game's done because <laughs> it's also yeah. just a 3-3 as you pointed out brad like the clock is good on this
0: well with a, with a lord
1: yeah um, it's a 2-2 it's I mean, it oh it's a 2-2 by itself I thought it was yes. a 3-3
0: already but... but I mean still getting even without flying getting pumped by lords and I can't tell you how many times I've gone against a Coco player for spirits and they're like uh, lord lord and you're like fine <laughs> sure <laughs> I was trying a
1: mono red like big red deck uh, this week like huge red like iron crack feet cheating stuff out red yeah. and I played against spirit and that happened all the time and I was looking at like my swelter my uh, anger of the gods and I was like,
0: They're all for toughness. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you gotta get that star of extinction out there. <laughs> and then and then they counter your star of extinction, and you're like, okay. Well, yeah, and like oh and, was, and, then, they her,
1: and then they aethergust your star of extinction and you don't have a second iron crack feet, and you're like, uh Yep. And uh
0: but yeah, uh Matt, what is your number eight?
2: So my number eight is Confounding Conundrum. This is where I put it on the list. So me and Brad were pretty close. I think Brad pretty much just nailed it on the head. It's an Uro counter. Stops Uro's landfall, not landfall, but extra land from triggering. And it's also kind of counters my number 10 pick. You can't put the extra lands. I, I would imagine that if you put the two extra lands, you bounce two. So basically yeah. a walk for no reason. So I think Brad just hit it on the head. I thought it was a little bit more powerful than Brad did, but yeah, I think it's a good card. So
1: I think it's great too. The fact that because to draw a card, you might be able to main deck this. Maybe even you main deck like a few copies and like a few more on the side or something Mm -hmm. uh, makes it very possible. So I want to give a tip to everybody playing against this card. Please crack your Fabled Passage on your opponent's turn. Because mm-hmm. I know this is going to happen. People are going to go like, that already. like, oh, I can play my, uh, yeah, true. But, I mean, even like, if you want to place a sorcery speed spell on your turn, either acknowledge that the land you just fetched up is going to go back to your hand, or wait a turn. Play something else. Uh, that, I that think this card is the is power of card. This card. Yeah, that does show the power of this card, too. Um, I don't know if I think the card is that powerful, I mean, it was close. For me, it would probably be like number 13 or 14 if we went for a bigger list. So I think it's a very powerful card. I have difficulty evaluating it because I'm not sure if trying to disrupt your opponent's plan like early on is really the way to go, or if you should just execute your plan faster.
0: I think the reason I have this card as high as I do, and I'm sure Matt has the same thought process, is this is just so good for the people playing an Uro deck against the other people playing an Uro deck? The problem I have with this is that I mean it can trips, right? So it's
1: not a bad top deck. But this looks like a card like, wow, this card is great on turn two. Yeah. Because you're slowing down your opponent's URO and you're not being slowed down. But how good is it if you don't have it on turn two? Now it's it can than the trip. So, yeah, it's better than a Ley Line, uh, it can trip, so it's not that bad. But I'm just not sure yet, so I just have to see it in practice. I find it's a very hard card to evaluate on paper. If the upside of having this on turn two is so great that it overrules the downside of drawing it later compared to other cards, like, wouldn't I rather just have a growth spiral to advance my plan quicker Then have a confounding conundrum to stop my opponent's plan. That's the only thing I'm I'm
2: wondering. But I think this is a very powerful card. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is, I don't think you necessarily have to be playing Uro in order to use this card. I think this card is just good in a lot of blue control shells. Especially if you know you're going to be playing against Uro, just toss this in the sideboard, and it doesn't completely shut down Uro. He's still a 6-6 body that gains life and draws, but... It definitely helps against Uro. I don't think you have to
1: yeah. use it. I can see this pop up in in more decks, especially if ramp becomes, um, because even especially if we get like more traditional ramp. If that makes if that like makes a comeback, because we've seen people experiment with it. There are some new cards in the set to help that archetype. Uh, if people are trying to build decks with a new omnath that aim to make three land drops in one turn, they're gonna have a very bad time if this card is on the field. So.
0: All right, uh, number seven.
1: Yes, my number seven is a spicy one. Now, I'm surprised if uh, Matt said that he wanted to represent red, that this card didn't make it. Cleansing Wildfire, which I think is a very powerful card, because in my evaluation, this does something that no card, at least for Pioneer, has been able to do, but almost like overall. So for the people who don't know what it does, It's one and a red. I believe I forgot to read out Blood Chiefs first, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Um, Cleansing Wildfire is one and a red, or sorcery. Destroy target land. Its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle their library, and then you get to draw a card. Now, I think this card is really good for two reasons. First of all, it can hit basics. And that's an effect that doesn't happen very often. So if you're playing like a a mono red or like a a red slow deck that can like fit in Field of Ruin and you strip people and you know, it's like, hey, these people don't have like two or three basics in their deck. And then you start destroying the basics too. I think that can just completely screw people out of the game. But the main reason why I think this is good is because you can have a greedy mana base and run this to punish a greedy mana base. Most cards that punish your opponent for being greedy with their mana cannot be run if you're also greedy with your mana. You can not put Field of Ruin in a four-color deck. Um, if you're playing in other formats, you can't run Blood Moon or Back to Basics or all those cards if your mana base is greedy, too. Now, for example, I, in my Grixis deck, uh, currently have a brew-up with some Zendikar lands and stuff that ends up with a grand total of zero basics. So let's say I played a Mirror against myself, I can now, in my greedy mana base with no basics, bring in a card that punishes my opponent for doing the same. And I think that is very powerful because it sort of breaks the synergy. Like, man, everybody's being greedy with their mana bases. And instead of being, so I should play a deck that isn't greedy with its mana so I can play Field of Ruin, you're just like, no, I'm also going to be greedy. I'm just going to have Cleansing Wildfire in my sideboard. Or my main deck, for all that matters. It can trips. Just like Confounding Conundrum.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah, and the, the fact that it cantrips is very relevant. Oh, if this
1: didn't cantrip, I think it was bad.
0: Yeah. Because it's not Stone Rain. Uh, you're,
1: uh, also important note, you can hit yourself with it. So you can fix your own mana. Can potentially be relevant. It can trigger Revolt without, like, sending yourself back uh, and horribly. And you still draw a card. And you still, you still get to draw the card. It's controller searches. You're always the one that gets to draw. So, um, yeah, I think this card's just really good maybe even like a good sideboard card in the right meta, this can just come in and just destroy people.
2: Yep,
0: I agree. Um, this one's not on my list. Uh, it was just in the outside looking in. Um, when I had my extended list and looking at like the 20 or 25 cards, this was certainly in the teens. Um, I just didn't find the room to squeeze it in. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, certainly is a powerful card.
1: If this card was in an M21, and we would have been at the start of the post-ban format where everybody was playing Niv. I can imagine this was a, the type of card that a NIV deck would bring in to fight NIV decks.
0: Yeah. And th- yeah that's that, like that's where
1: exactly a right. meta and a spot where I, can, I think this card might be very powerful.
0: Yeah, they don't run like any basics, do they?
1: I think they run like one of each because they do run Fabled Passage. Oh, okay. But just right. the power of being able to take like a three or four or five color deck off of one color can just be backbreaking. And that's why I think these cards are good. I played against Banned Spirits with like my big red deck where I run four of this main and four Field of Ruin to like experiment. I wanted to see how good this sort of you know random mana screw plan is because it hardly takes up room in the deck. And I could just... I was, for like a few of the games I played, I was taking Spirits off of green so they couldn't cast the Cocoa, for example. Yeah. And it felt like it was almost free
2: for me to do that.
0: Matt, how do you feel about this card?
2: I think it's fine. So... I think it's good. The reason I didn't include this is because I thought there was a white card that did exactly the same thing. Turns out it does not do exactly the same thing. <laughs> I, will admit, I will admit that that was part a slight oversight on my part because I did. I looked at this card and I went, yeah, but I can already do that with white. And the card I was thinking of, so everybody knows, is Path to Exile, which turns out that Exile is a target creature instead of a land, and then you get to, the controller gets to search for a basic, so, yeah.
0: And not legal and Pioneer.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, there also is that. a point to be made there. There are cards that make your opponent search basics, like Field of Ruin, and this is also just a card that can starve people off their basics. If people are, like a lot of decks now that run basics, or at least like a, a fair amount of decks that run basics, aren't actually running basics because they can. They're running basics because they're fixing their mana with Fable Passage. So they are actually actively getting these basics out of their deck. It's not like in Modern, where you just put two or three basics in your deck so that if you get pathed, you can actually find a basic. People are actually reliably getting these out of their deck, and this hits anything. Also, uh, forests with Wolf Willowhaven on them. Turns out yeah. that's also pretty good. Nykthos with counters on them. Or like uh, Nykthos anyway, or lands from Nissa with counters on them. Get that out of here. You can get another forest. But the, like, the, the art on that forest. Kill it.
2: The thing about targeting Nykthos specifically, at least what I've found, is I almost always have a pocket Nykthos in my hand since they are legendary and you can't play more than one of them. If you, if you hit my Nykthos, then I get another forest, which powers Nissa, and I get to play Nykthos again next turn.
1: Yeah, it's it's not there. I, also, because mostly when people play Nick they immediately activate it and get a thousand mana. So yeah. it might be too late, but it just it's random upside.
0: Yeah. Um, looking at my number seven, I have another Skyclave card. This one is Skyclave Shade, one in a black. It's a shade, and then it's a three one. Has kicker of two in a black. And it says Skyclave Shade cannot block. If Skyclave Shade was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. So for five mana, you get a five uh, free. Five so not bad. And then it has Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Skyclave Shade is in your graveyard and it's your turn, you may cast it from your graveyard this turn. So I want to get this out of the way real quick. The home for this card is clearly Mono Black Aggro. But I think Scrap Heap Scrounger is better than this card. I want to say that for sure. I think Scrap Heap is better. However, the downside to Scrap Heap is very clear. You want to recur it, but you don't want to eat your own recursive threats like your Bloodsoak Champion or your, uh, your Dread Wanderers or other uh, Scrap Heap Scroungers. So, what this card brings to the table is it allows it to be live in other circumstances where scrap people wouldn't be so if you top deck a land for example in a position where normally that would just be horrible for your deck you get some action still from it um, and then at that point if you have extra mana you could kick it and then get a bigger you know threat than what scrap Heap can be so it has different you know versatilities and I, I would just see a 2-2 two, two split between the two. I don't think you need to run 4 Scrap Heap now, and you don't want to run 4 of this either. I think a 2-2 two, two split is appropriate. Uh, maybe a 3-1 split in favor of Scrap Heap. Um, I, I just think it's still a better card, but this is certainly going to find a home in the mono black deck. It's just good enough to do so. Um, and they
2: want more recursive threats anyway. And yeah, I I, just, I think it's good enough. I think it's a good card. Um, I actually also considered putting this on my list. Um, I agree that I think that Scrap Heap Scrounger is better. The one reason I would say that maybe this card gets played over Scrap Heap Scrounger is in sort of aggressive matchups where your opponent is swinging at you because Scrap Heap Scrounger can't be left up as a blocker. Neither can this. This can't block either. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, correct. It's literally the exact same as Scrap Heap, except it has one toughness rather than two.
1: It's a blood cast. It's a blood cast you have to cast.
2: Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, okay. It so, yeah, I think it's fine. I do think Scrap Heap is just objectively better, though.
1: Yeah, I think a, a, a thing you're missing out when evaluating. Now, I don't think this card is bad. What you're eva- missing in your evaluation is the fact that Scrap Heap's Grounder comes back on instant speed. Yeah, and that's why the it's, fact it's, that going Scrap Heap comes in and can dodge Anger of the Gods if recurred, I think is huge. And,. Also the fact that having two mana and a creature in your yard is probably more common than having a land to trigger this card's landfall. What I don't what I hate about this card is that they didn't give it a relevant creature type. Like the fact that this isn't just like a vampire shade or something like bloodcast is is kind of a shame because this is a shade. There will never be shade tribal unless we get an unset like come on. Like yeah. So I think this card just misses what it takes. Like It's going to take like a very specific... Like, the fact that it doesn't eat your creatures is very relevant, uh, because um, uh, playing a lot of control, obviously, I have run into plenty of Scrap Beep before, and I've had plenty of Scrap Beep scroungers recurred about against me a hundred times, to the point where some matchups I won by just killing their other creatures, and then they couldn't recur with Scrap Beap because their graveyard was just empty or you Anger of the Gods when Scrap Heap is in the graveyard, but sure, it still cuts away fuel for the Scrap Heap Scrounger. And that's a problem that this card doesn't have. In that sense, I think the card's very good. I just, the instant speed, needing landfall, like if you want to make a lot of landfall triggers, that might mean you're in a pretty bad spot as an aggro deck, because you don't want to be making that many land drops. I think it's
0: just too awkward.
1: I, I do think it's a card with potential. It's a reasonable card. I wouldn't fault anyone for putting this on their list. It, I mean, I, I
0: I put on the list because it fit the criteria of fitting into a deck that exists right now, and I certainly think it's going to be tried. And I'm, we're, I guarantee you, we'll see a top eight finish or even a, a challenge win with copies of this card in a mono black aggro deck because it's just good enough to just be flexible. That's where it comes in as being good enough is the flexibility and in, in the contrast it provides from Heap. Where I agree, and this, that's why we let it off. Scrap Heap is objectively better than this. Yeah. But this provides enough flexibility, similarly to when we are talking about uh, Blood Chief's uh, Thirst or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's enough flexibility to warrant running, and that's why it's good enough.
1: Yeah, I could even imagine you, like, maybe because the card seems always hard to recur, you cut, like, a Dread Wanderer. Or maybe you cut one scrap heap. I don't. I'm not sure if a two-two split is a bit too ambitious, but I could see like you cut a scrounger for this or something. Like if we're yeah. trying to like super super min max our list, like get Frank Karsten involved to do the math and stuff. I can imagine a copy ends up in the list. Yeah.
2: All right, Matt. What is your number seven? My number seven is uh, artifact. It's called Mall of the Skyclaves. So it's two and a white. It's an equipment. When it enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has flying and first strike, and its equipped cost is two, and then white, white. So, I included this list because everybody knows Boros Artifacts is sort of my pet deck. Um, it always has been, and I just love getting new artifacts for that deck, new equipments for it. So, and I mean, flying and first strike is a scary combination, because... You get flying, so a lot of creatures can't block it anyway, and then if they can block it, you gave it plus two, plus two first strike, you're probably going to kill whatever they blocked with. Yep. And so that was my whole reasoning. I think this is also going back to spirits, this could just be good in a spirit stack. You lose out on the flying for most of them, or you could give your... This is how you give your apparition flying. Oh, we found it. (laughs) Yep. And then... But even if you miss out on the flying part of it, plus two, plus two, and first strike for three mana is pretty good.
0: Yeah, I I think this is certainly a pretty good equipment. Um, I think it definitely is going to be included in a, a Boros equipment style deck. And we got to remember, Alex, you touched on this earlier, the fact that the equipments in this set are treated more so as a one of or a one off, I should say, uh, aura kind of ability where it just comes in and sticks to a body, and then. It doesn't go away when it falls off you can recast it later essentially with the equipment cost or the equip cost so that's the biggest thing about these uh equipments they just they come in and they hit attached to a body immediately um which is leagues better than what we've seen in the past
1: yeah i think this is a very good card it's it's a a very strong equipment spell and it's definitely a card i had in mind when i like thought of resolute strike being good because there's more than Amber Cleave. And because three you get a pretty good like one-shot effect out of this. But paying four, once you get to the point where you're comfortably paying four to slap this on, I can imagine this you're probably flooding or you're out of gas, you're probably not very happy. Where I can imagine you go turn one, some warrior. I don't know. I think I think uh gutterbones is a warrior. I don't know you go like Marty Warriors go turn one Gutterbones turn two the new Intimidator guy called something Intimidator turn three maul of the Skyclave you slap it on the Intimidator you hit your opponent they kill the Intimidator you're next an turn you Resolute Strike your Gutterbones slap this on it and keep keep the gas going yeah and that's really where I can see like this deck coming together um yeah I think like in where I had Resolute Strike uh if I would have put uh, an equipment. To resemble like this strategy might be a thing, I would have put that card there. It's, it's great. Oh, isn't, the keywords um, are relevant.
0: Isn't uh, from Mono Black? Um, the uh, I literally just said the name of it like two minutes ago. Bloodsoak Champion? Yeah, that's a warrior, right? That's a, that's a knight. It doesn't, this doesn't have to be equipped to a warrior, though. It can be equipped to I, a... No, I'm, true. No, that, that, that feels like it's a warrior, though. Hold on, no, hold on. there's the, the the horrible thing about
1: Warrior Tribal, and this is even the thing with Knight Tribal, is that in in Magic, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? But to represent like melee characters, we have warriors, knights. Yeah, it's a warrior. It's a it's a um, human
0: warrior because it's from Con's uh, Tarkir. Oh, uh, lots of and, champion.
1: I, I confused it with you're Knight. You're M- Legion. Legion. Yeah, yeah. Of The oh, Ebon Legion is, yeah. is the knight. Of champion is the warrior because it's from Tarkir. Yeah, you're completely yeah. right. Yeah, so there's your, one, there's your one drops for a warrior deck, I guess. Yeah, and it's recursive. Yeah, sorry. I just completely confused it, and I was thinking of Knight of the Evan Legion, but that's obviously a knight because it's in the bloody name. So <laughs> well done, me. But a thing that I do find annoying when I was thinking of like good cards that go into like a warrior deck, and that's like maybe a thing I can quickly bring up, which is a downside, um, is that you have a lot of warriors, or think you think are warriors, but sometimes they're knights, or soldiers, or berserkers, or there is a lot of names to represent melee characters, and that can get very confusing when you're trying to build your deck. But we were talking about this equipment and not warriors in general, because this can work outside of warriors.
2: Of course. And um, In I fact, solid- I'll just say my first thought when I saw these equipments that are sort of one-time use and then you have to pay for them, my first thought is Cazool's Toll Collector, where you pay zero, equip, equip it with the equipment you control. So then you never have to pay the equip cost. So you get it once for free on whatever you want. And then once that's killed, you just put it on Cazool's Toll Collector for free.
0: Yeah, certainly there's going to be homes for these. Um... Or,
2: um, I mean, with the
1: one-shot, turn two, Adanto Vanguard, turn three. Throw this onto your Adanto Vanguard. Yeah. Attack with a 5-3, flying first strike, potentially indestructible. That's gonna murder some people. <laughs> uh,
0: so looking at my number
1: six, I uh, would we go into my number six first? If we did, Matt's oh, Matt. Oh, Matt,
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, for some reason I thought this was yours, Alex. I blanked out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. I was enthusiastic Alex, about uh... warriors <laughs> again,
1: even though I <laughs> Alex... hate Foral all Um, whichever. My says, number Alex. six is Balaget recovery. I think if we're talking about a card that is like a perfect fit for an archetype, if you want to go traditional ramp, I think Balagat Recovery is a fantastic card. Now I'll read it out quickly. Balagat Recovery, the front side is a spell, so it's a sorcery for two and a green, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. We've seen this, this is regrowth. This is just straight up three mana regrowth. It's, or for some people, maybe it's Eternal Witness without the body. And the back is Balagat Sanctuary, And it's just a tapped green land. Now, I think this card is perfect for traditional ramp. Because traditional ramp always has the problem. You want to put lands in your deck, but then late game, you're top decking lands. This card does both. It's a land drop early, but once you've got 15 mana, who cares that you need to pay three to get your Ugin back? So I think this card perfectly slots in. I can see like early on in the game, you go like, Grazer, put this in tapped. Perfect. It's your early ramp. You make sure you you know, get to your Ugin. Late game, you topdeck this, buy the best threat out of your graveyard and play it again. And what I've even seen people do with this because of landfall strategies, you can use this to like recover a Fabled Passage, you can trigger landfall twice. Like, there is a lot of play with regrowth effects. And the fact that this comes on a land kind of eliminates the downside that a regrowth effect usually has. Where an opening hand with a regrowth effect is what am I going to do with this? Well, Lay it as a land. It's perfect.
0: Yeah. Um, these uh, modal cycles of the, uh, the lands that they've offered, they're really powerful. Um, they change, they're going to change the way that you uh, evaluate deck building uh, from here on out, um, especially considering that they've confirmed that these are going to exist in future sets as well. Like, Kaldheim is getting No, They did say, the say that there were
1: double-faced, uh, aside from the pathway lands, as far as I know, they only confirmed double-faced modal cards. That doesn't have to mean that they will also be land spells. I can imagine yeah. knowing Zendikar. That's probably where we're going to get the land spells. But this is such a powerful concept, like these land spells. As you said, this is going to reevaluate deck building. You're going to see 32 land ramp decks because four of them are going to be Balak at Recovery. And then when you have so many lands, you can maybe put like Azusa in your deck. Because you've got so many lands to sure, turbo them out.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Matt, you running this at
2: all? Uh recovery. I missed this card. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. I mean, yes, it's good. Uh, I would play the sorcery side of it more than the land side of it. Um, there's one card, and in fact, I'll talk more about this when I reveal my number six choice. But there's a card that pl- that is played... In some black decks, and I don't remember the name of it, help me out, guys, but you destroy a creature, and then the, the opponent reveals their hand and all cards with the Legion's same end. name get destroyed.
0: Yeah, Legion's End. And the, it yeah. exiles, I believe, right? It's, it's yeah. two or less.
2: Yes. So, obviously with Nissa, it's very, very difficult because once you turn that land into a creature, they're going to hit it, and then they're going to dump your hand of all your lands. So this card is good for that in that kind of matchup. So I think it's more of a sideboard card in the Mono Green matchup, or in the Mono Green Walkers at least, in case you're playing against that kind of matchup. The land side for Mono Green Walkers isn't great because it's not a forest. It enters tap, so you can't even use it on the first turn. But I think it's a solid card. I'd probably put it in the teens rather than in my top 10. But
1: I think this goes in traditional ramp. I don't think this goes in Mono Green Walkers. Uh, I... I think this goes into, like, a traditional Simic or even just mono green ramp, like we saw early on in the format with, like, Cavalier of Thorns, Ugin, Worldbreaker, Nissa's Pilgrimage, that sort of thing. And this
2: is already
0: really good with Cavalier of Thorns, so... yeah, I think,
2: I think this does go on walkers as a one of in the sideboard in case they start destroying your lands. Potentially.
0: Yeah, going on to, uh, to my number six. I didn't want to put this card on the list, at all. I did not want it on the list... I'm a little upset that I had to put it on the list because it just... There are far more interest, uh, interesting cards in this set uh, that could have an impact on Pioneer with the release of Zendikar Rising. Um, however, this card is going to change the game for black decks. It's Feed the Swarm. It is, uh, it's a really good card. It's sorcery Speed, 1 in a black, Destroy target creature or enchantment, and opponent controls. Use life equal to that permanence converted mana cost. I mean, it's an actual answer to Rest in Peace or Ley Line of the Void when it comes to your aggro decks, or if you match up against the one Enchantress player in our entire uh, Discord server, <laughs> a relevant card. Uh, not only that, but it's never dead in the appropriate matchups. It doubles as a you know, solid enough removal option for creatures. Yeah, the losing life part can suck, but if it's in an aggro shell, you're kind of hoping to kill your opponent earlier than not. So the losing life can be... Not incredibly that relevant. Um, it's just good. It's nothing fancy. Uh, I'll talk about people...
1: this more later. This yeah. is higher on my list. I will talk about this later.
0: All right, um, but yeah, I just think, I mean, and people are people are even upset about this card breaking the color pie because they don't they think that black should not have. Me too. From, uh, from I'm in area. that camp.
1: I think yeah. this card shouldn't exist. It's uh,
0: it's good. It's really good. And it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate I have to put it in the list because it feels like a, a card that is just, it's boring and a little upsetting that it's in the list uh, for both the reason that it's just nothing special, but also incredibly special at the same time because yes. it's <laughs> breaking the color pie. Uh, but Matt, how do you feel about this one?
2: I'll just say, and I'll say it now, I looked at this card and I said, nope, not good enough. And I just moved on.
1: You're crazy. You're <laughs> absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, this this is a game changer. This this so card wha- is disgusting. I w- I
1: would like to talk about this more later when it gets to my spot because I have a lot to say about this card. Yeah,
2: I'll fine. just I'm just gonna say what I have to say now so that when Alex gets to it, he can go on his long spiel and I don't have to interrupt. <laughs> um, so players who know me know that I am very averse to not paying my own life for anything. If I have the choice to pay life or not pay life, I will not pay life. That means that's why you
1: play mono green so you don't play shocklands.
2: Exactly. I, I actually I play Shocklands in some of my decks, but I refuse to put them in untapped.
0: Life is a resource, Matt. Come on. I also yeah.
2: I also won't play Fetchlands because I don't want to pay the one life. And when I play have, for- haven't you
1: seen the tip on Arena? You only lose the game for being below at zero life. Your life
0: total is a resource. And some, some decks you don't even care about that. You're negative twelve and you're still you're still playing. <laughs> still
2: kicking. Thanks for XP have- on life. I have seen it and I just I don't care. I don't like paying life. So if it requires me to pay life, that's also why I won't I won't play ThoughtSeize. Won't play ThoughtSeize either. So I mean,
1: yeah. I think I think I start more games on 16 life than on 20 life. <laughs> Shock in a watery grave ThoughtSeize is like the perfect turn one. <laughs> yeah, I in any format by Oh no, in modern I tend to start on 15. Because it was fetch, shocking a watery grave. I'll see yep.
2: you, Matt. What's your six? My number six slot is the first green card I've picked, um, and Alex called it correctly when we were talking before that this would be on my list. It is the new Nissa Planeswalker. So it is called Nissa of Bro. Is it Nissa of Broken Bows? Hold on, I'm not looking Shadowed. at my list. Shadow. of Broken bows. or Shadowed Boughs. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I'll just read it out for people who maybe didn't listen or forgot. It's two, a black and a green. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nissa of Shadowed Bows. It's plus one, is untapped target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still a land. And it's minus five is you may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. And it starts at four loyalty. So my first thought when I looked at this and I said this on the podcast before is this just seems really good with Uro shells, you know, like a, a green, black, blue Uro shell, because you can alter the turn you play her and have her not die. In the correct sort of setup, which is just good in a, in and of itself, but I think the plus one, just making a three three body with haste and menace is just really good, and it dodges Legion's End because you don't have to make it a creature if you don't want to. You can, but you don't have to. So it's a little bit more flexible than Nissa who shakes the world, where you're forced to, if you target a if you target a land, it is forced to become a creature. So. Plus, it's just Nyssa, and I've said before, is my favorite Planeswalker they've ever made. I own literally every, at least one of every Nyssa Planeswalker that's ever been printed. And I just love Nissa, and I love that we're finally getting a Golgari version of Nyssa.
1: Alright. Um, I hate to burst your bubble, but I think this card is really not good. I think it is mediocre at best. Now, here's one problem I already have with this card. This card is a 4-drop the same way Tireless Tracker is a 3-drop. I always jokingly call Tireless Tracker the best 4-drop in the game, because you play it on turn 4, so you can immediately make a land drop. And I feel like this card is very similar. Um, And when you're talking about 5-mana cards, because this this card dies really quickly, The, the land stops being a creature at the end of your turn. And one of the worst things that can happen with this card is with the way it works. So let's say you're trying to play your Nissa like a 5-drop. And you're trying to, what I think is the better way to do it, you can like, it's from your hand, you can like cheat in an Ulamog. You can just go this land, Ulamog. But the problem with what I have with this card, which is also a way people can play around this, is that when you play a land, a trigger goes on the stack to put a loyalty counter on your Nissa. You can kill the Nyssa in response to that trigger, and you never get to activate the loyalty ability because it dies. You're trying to go like Nyssa, play a land, and in response, your opponent ether gusts it, heroes downfalls it. And I think that is like such a blowout, which is like normally a very powerful thing that planeswalkers do, where they come in, they immediately have an effect, and then if they get killed, the effect still happens. The only effect this card has is then making a land a 3-3 until end of turn. The only spot where I can see this being good is because they're Haste and Menace. If you're playing like, if you're trying to reenact War of the Spark and you get these like Planeswalker mirrors, which can sometimes happen in slower formats, having Haste, Menace threats is a really good way to attack your opponent's Planeswalkers. That's the only thing I can see that I think is really good against this Walker. Or like cheating out Ulamog, but then just, instead of this, just play a ramp spell. Just Hour of Promise for two Shrine of Forsaken Gods and just cast your amok next turn.
0: Yeah, this this card started out in my top 10 um, originally because I, I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, it seems good enough. Um, and it, it just very quickly found its way out of the list. It, when I was comparing it to other four drops, um, like I was just going like the best case scenario is you can technically drop it on turn three get it up to six loyalty, minus five, drop a creature down. That's possible. Um, and that's the ceiling. That's the ceiling, right? That, that's probably about the best you're going to do. The floor is playing it on curve on turn four, um, or playing on, like, you know. I think a middle ground is playing it on, I think actually playing on turn five, like your Tyler's Tracker uh, thing, Alex, is yeah. a little bit better than playing it on curve in turn four um, to get that loyalty up. But... If I'm playing it on curve, I'd rather have the new Garrick from M21 in, in an appropriate deck. Um, yeah, I think the they go better. in
1: different decks, but I do feel like that Garrick, because it ticks down and gets you a creature just right there and then. So if it gets killed, you get an effect.
0: Yeah, and you just that also, pluses, your
1: gives your mana, war, your mana dork plus 3 plus 3 in Trample, which can also attack Planeswalkers very well in that case. Um, by the way, for the uninformed like me, a bow bow a bow is the main like big branch on a tree i did not know this uh when i heard the name oh. of this card uh in case people like me needed to be educated on the english language um i do think it is a very cool card i love the art i have difficulty reading the name on this weird printing but whoever made this art well done i love it i could see this on a poster something and i'd i'd hang it in my room um but I'm not sold on the power level of this card. Not in Pioneer. I can see this being reasonable in standard. But I have seen it in standard a little bit and it seemed underwhelming
2: there. So. I think, I mean, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this. And maybe I'm just biased because it's Nyssa and because I love Nyssa and always have. I think it's, it's definitely of the three Planeswalkers in this set, this is the best one. And I know people are going to say Jace is better. Well, you're wrong if you say that. Jace um, is better. <laughs> uh,
0: I in think... a vacuum, might be inclined to agree with you, um, but it's uh, it's, I it's mean, tough to say.
2: Jace can be broken. The thing with with the thing with the new Jace Planeswalker is you can break that card, and then it becomes extremely good. But, but the Teferi's
1: in... Ageless Insight thing, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so there's a way, for those of you who don't know, this has already been discovered, there's a way to break the new Jace Planeswalker with Teferi's Ageless Insight. Yeah,
1: they they mentioned it last uh, last week. Did they? Yeah, okay. where it's it's a <laughs> replacement effect, so your Jace no longer loses loyalty.
2: Yeah. So, um, I just think Nissa's the best of the three Planeswalkers. Nahiri is by far the worst, unfortunately.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah, Nahiri's the worst. I think, well...
2: Actually, Nahiri goes into one. I'm not very... even
1: sure if Nahiri is worse than Nissa. I might oh, think Nahiri that's... is better than Nissa.
2: That's just sacrilege. Nahiri fits one very specific deck. It goes into Boros artifact.
0: But it, but it does its job in that deck. Yeah, it does than its Nissa job does. in that deck. I would
1: rather have a niche card that performs... and this is probably just how we evaluate cards, right? This would be an entirely different discussion if I see a card that I think is good, fits a good role in one specific archetype, I will value it over one card that is generally a little better because it fits more archetypes in a mediocre way. But that's just how I would evaluate a card.
2: So, yeah. I'll let you guys stop yelling at me about why this is actually... <laughs> uh, we not meant I to. You. It's, it's, it's meant for to...
1: discords. I will acknowledge that I have my biases whenever I see Grixis or Bolas-related cards. So... I will uh, leave it at that.
0: We'll go into number five. Alex, what do you got?
1: My number five is a card that initially hardly like came close to the list, and I actually realized how insane this card is and how I did not acknowledge it was stupid. Shadow's Verdict. Now, Shadow's Verdict is a five-mana sorcery speed card, and it says, so it's three black-black, Exile all creatures and all planeswalkers with CMC three or less from the battlefield and all creatures and planeswalker cards with converted mana cost three or less from all graveyards.
0: This card right here is exactly why Kethas would have been fucking fine. Because this, <laughs> this card hoses cards so hard.
1: Yeah, This card, in the right, because it's a five mana sweeper, and as we talked before, it's CMC restricted. And three is pretty low. Like, we see four mana cards, five mana cards, especially like being powered out through elves and other means. So this is not going to be like... Don't put this in your deck as your only sweeper going blindly into a format, because you're going to lose a lot of games of Magic. If you pick the right format to play these cards in, this card will not win you games. This card will win you tournaments if you go into the right meta with this. If Dredgeless Dredge is big... This card, just you almost instantly win the game if you cast this. If Dredgeless Dredge is doing its thing and getting their Silver Smote Ghouls and their other Dirtly cards out on the field, and you 1v1 them with removal, and they're like har har laughing at you because you're 1v1ing their prized amalgam that keeps coming back, and then on turn five you just drop this. It is like you put them back to the start of the game, where they probably have fewer cards in hand, no way to mill themselves, their yard is empty, their field is empty. They have nothing. This card is incredible in the right meta. Now, that's the biggest if, well, when more. It's the right meta. If you make a good meta call with this card, you're going to destroy people. If you make the wrong meta call with this card, you're going to have a pretty bad sweeper in your deck.
0: Yep. Uh, the, the floor is pretty low, the ceiling's pretty high. Um, the ceiling have... is
1: enormous. Yeah. The ceiling is ridiculous. The ceiling is winning the game with a five mana sorcery.
0: Yeah. I don't have that much to say about this one. It's solid. I think the card's good. Um, I'm just bitter because I'm like, you banned Kethys when they put. 10 printed- out of 10
2: arts too, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah, the art's great. Um, yeah, just good card. Uh,
2: I'll just say that this card, while it doesn't hit any of the planeswalkers and mono green walkers, every single creature. In mono green walkers has three or less CMC. So you play this and they just don't have creatures anymore. Yeah, and, and you that kill includes... and the lands, this is reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that includes yeah. all of the creature lands that you make because they're technically CMC zero, which is fun fact, zero is less than three. <laughs> um, doesn't
0: this technically uh, exile the learned... in the graveyard?
2: Uh no,
1: it doesn't no, exile them in the graveyard because creatures. they don't count as creatures. Graveyard.
0: Mm. I know there is Under- some weird there is weird rulings where like technically like doesn't Legion like Zen yeah. technically hits forest. It doesn't the- hit the
1: one in the yard. It just hits the one on the field and then the one in your hand yeah. because they have the same name.
0: So yeah. it looks okay. at the forest okay, on the wild.
1: field, which is a creature, and then it checks the name, and that's okay. how why that works. This doesn't okay. work that way. When it hits the yard,
0: it loses its characteristic of being. Either creature. way, seems good against or reasonable enough against Monogreen.
1: Yeah, reasonable that you would like keep one or two in, and if you have them in your main deck, you can probably consider keeping them in against monogreen, because they have reasonable hits.
2: Yes, and mono green does not have um bring back spells. And I know they're exiled anyway, but mono green, there's there's just nothing they can do. Once a creature's off the battlefield, it's off the battlefield forever. Yep. Mono it, Green
1: It's a main thing you like. You like ping the elves so they don't go too quick. They play their Jade Light Rangers and their Hydras, and you sweep the board and you sort of get the start on a clean slate. And it's, it's a good reset. And in that same way, it is a good reset against Monogreen. So if you have like a meta in which the sweeper is good and there's also Monogreen, just keep it in. It's also good against spirits, five yeah. mana, so they can't Queller it. And they also can Selfless Spirit because it excels. So it's also a good card against spirits, Just is good. You do lose the spirit the operation will have given you, though, if you build it early on, because <laughs> oh, that is boo-hoo. also terrible. Woohoo. <laughs> uh,
0: looking at my number five, I'm not going to spend too much time with this one, because I've expressed my feelings on this the last two weeks. I have the entire Mythic Boltland cycle at number five. Um, they're good. They're powerful. The fact that they can come in untapped, and they're attached to these very powerful effects... Um, I think the white one um, is just not good enough for most things. It's like there are better ways to do it. Again, I could be overvaluing or undervaluing, I'm sorry, the, uh, the effect of having a land be in that spell slot too. Um, but they're going to be played. They're going to be good. They're going to do things, and I'm going to lose to them occasionally. I'll acknowledge <laughs> that. I just don't think they're nearly as good as everyone thinks they are. I think the green one is the best one. And the green one is the best one and it's the best deck that that goes into, by far, is not even a Pioneer. It's Amulet Titan in Modern. Um, So,
1: (laughs) what am I going to do with this million mana I've made with my Azusa? (laughs) Exactly. Better find a Titan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and look, again, the cycle's good in the same way we, we talked about the modal lands in general or the modal cards in general, the flip cards. This changes the way that you evaluate your deck-building strategy because these are these bomby-type spells that slot into the land uh, slot in your deck. So that's where they're powerful. Outside of that, though, um, I think the black one is just Gruesome Menagerie, which is already okay. Um, I think I I just think these are incredibly... I think they're overhyped, and they're a little overrated. But I don't want to say they're overrated in a negative way. Like everyone's, whenever he, people hear that word, they're like, oh my God, that means they're bad. No, it means people are over evaluating them. That's it. Something can be really good and strong, but still be overvaluated. I just think, I, I think that's where they fall. That's why I have them dead center, middle of the pact. They're going to make an impact. They're going to change the way deck building exists for the rest of Magic. And, uh, but that, that's, where they, that's where it stops. That's, that's, they're, they're good enough. They're going to do something, but that's it.
2: Matt, what do you think? I like the green one.
1: Of course. How surprising. I I have them higher. I'll talk a bit more about them later.
2: That's all I can really say is that I like the green one. I think the white one is really bad. I think the other ones are mediocre. I like the green one, but I. The red
0: one is just flat out bad. I'm sorry. I will will rank
2: them later.
1: How do you guys rank them from best to worst? I'll rank them when we come to mine. Mm -hmm. I would.
2: Okay, I'll do mine first because that's really easy. White is the worst. Black, blue, and red. Actually, I would say red is the second worst. And then black and blue are tied right in the middle, and then green is the best.
0: I would say green's the best. Um, I would say... I would say black is just a smidge better than the blue one. Um, Blue is the third. Fourth is red. Actually, no, I'm I'm going to say fourth is white. Red is by far the worst. White is still good enough to where like it's a good effect. But the problem is, and I've talked about this the last cast and the one before that too, when we, when we originally looked at this card, the decks that that effect is the most powerful, there are better things and better cards to take the slot that it would fit. In an aggro deck, it's just seven mana is a lot, and you want to buff all your creatures, make them indestructible, swing in, and then do big things and make the angels. Cool, that's where that fits in really well. Um, You could do it in a control shell, but the problem is the angels don't get indestructible, so it's not a really good finisher where you're like, okay, I make two angels, but now your angels can just get fatal pushed or whatever, um, or removed pretty easily. Uh, I mean, I just think there are better things to be doing with that mana. And again, they'll be in decks. Don't get me wrong. They will be indexed because they just are good enough as a land that does extra things. But yeah, that's how I would rank it. Red by far. Like, if if I actually had the placements, it'd be one, two, three, four, and then forty is the red one. <laughs> that one is bad.
1: I will uh, tell you my rankings when we get to mine in a bit. All I can, all I can say is that it is
2: different. Uh, I disagree about white being better than red uh i think red is slightly better because damage is damage and not seven... the face
0: doesn't go face not interested
2: clears blockers i don't care
0: that and, effect isn't good enough but there but are better the cards is,
2: Brad, seven, i can play fight with fire seven mana for two bodies really you're gonna say that's better than damage I will yes. strongly disagree with you on that. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. In a, in a top deck war where there's nothing on the board I, and no I, one's doing I, anything, I, I I'd rather have the angels.
1: I don't want people to be able to deduct what my order is, so we can save this for when we get to mine. Before I start like agreeing with Matt on like white being better than red, and people like get their math books out and determine what the order is before we get to mine.
2: <laughs> Alright, let's <laughs> just move on. Yeah, let's, we'll talk yeah, about it later. We can talk about it again when Alex brings them up. Yes. What's your number five, Matt? My number five is Philodar Retreat. So it's three in a white. It's an enchantment. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. Create a 2-2 white cat beast creature token or put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. Uh, hold on. My dogs are going crazy.
1: Well, Felidar <laughs> Retreat, you mentioned cats. I know. They're going uh, crazy. They're like, well, you know, bring up ten? cats. Where's your dog in your top ten?
2: First thing I'll say about this card, because it's not as important, is uh, the art of the card is really cool. And it also made me laugh because I just noticed there is a gigantic cat in the background that is standing on two legs and dabbing. <laughs> Go.
0: It resembles it, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It resembles dabbing. I think it's more so pouncing and mid leap. But yeah, you could you can see the, the dabbing if you really look for it.
2: Yeah. Well, I just noticed it, and my first thought was dabbing. I think this is good in sort of enchantment decks. Uh, so it goes wide. Whenever you play a land, you know you get you can make a token, and then once you've gone wide, just start pumping every creature you have just for playing a land. Every creature you have gets plus one plus one counter because you play to land, and they get vigilant, so you can swing for free. Basically, swing and leave them all up as blockers. Still,
0: I like it. I like the card. Um, I think it goes pretty nice in an, enchant- uh, an enchantress kind of build or enchantment focused deck. Um, I really also like it. I'd, I'd love to see it how it would work in a a um, a prisony style deck, like with uh, nine lives and solemnity um, as the way to like you know you're already making your opponent just not be able to do anything. So have a way to kind of go wide in that regard um i just think it's good i wanted it in my top 10 um it it just barely missed the cut and uh yeah there's not a whole lot to say about it it seems good i think it's a solid card
1: it reminds me a little bit of um back in like hour of devastation standard that sort of thing and there have been similar cards uh people play well i suppose we have shark typhoon now and people then played metallurgic summonings which was just an enchantment, I think it was six mana. When you play an instant or sorcery, you get an XX construct where X is the mana cost. I believe it was this... a
0: five, but yeah.
1: Oh, okay. But th- this reminds me of that. Like you have in a slow deck and you drop this and you win the game by just playing magic. Making land drops, casting spells. And this is one of the cheapest ways we've seen it that is like actually efficient. Like making two-twos is actually a reasonable threat. So yeah, I think this card can even come out of sideboards in control decks to like punish a certain meta. I think this card could be very good, and I can—I'm probably going to lose a lot of games to this. Except I can kill it now if I feed this one.
0: Oh. But yeah.
1: I am going to lose a lot of games to this probably.
0: Um. Yeah, Alex, what's your number four?
1: My number four is a bit of a—I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, too unusual. It's Skyclave Cleric. I think this card is bonkers. This card is bananas good. It's one and a white for a 1-3 core cleric. I guess relevant for your party, but you never played in that deck. When Skyclave Cleric enters the battlefield, you gain two life. And the backside is just Skyclave Basilica, which is a tapped white source. I cannot think of a better card for blue-white control. Like a handcrafted, flawless card for blue-white control is probably this card it is amazing it's like having sideboard tech against mono red or just an it's a one three even like mono black blocking like blood soak champion and dread wanderer just having this in your main deck then if you don't want the anti-aggro you do the exact opposite which is making more land drops it is so good in this deck the only way i could see it not pop up is because we have dig through time And I can, it sounds like a weird connection, but I can see this being fantastic in like a Sphinx's Revelation style deck where you are more than happy to make land drops in slow matchups, even more than any other deck. I think this card is so, so good. This might be like meta defining at one point where if you want to go under control with like a low to the ground red strategy, you can't because this card exists. It's fantastic. If I was a blue-eyed control player, I would be, like, crying happy tears when I would see this card. It's just so good. It does everything. This might as well be a blank piece of cardboard, which is the text, this card does whatever the hell you need it to do based on the matchup, except it can't
0: be a counterspell. Like, it might as well say that. So I was trying to find it, um, because I couldn't find it because I was blanking out when you were talking about it. Skyclave Cleric. Yeah, it's the one, it's, so it's a 1-3, gains yeah, 2 life. 2 mana 1-3, gain 2 life when it comes
1: in. So good. For a while, I thought this might be one of the best cards in the set. Like, when we were halfway through the set, I would have probably had this at number 1.
0: You know, I see it. I see what you're going for. Um, I definitely think it's very flexible, and it can certainly do a lot for the correct deck that wants these kind of effects. If it's a rail blocker, gains 2 life, puts you ahead, at least in terms of like the aggro matchup, um, and then can be a land when you need it to be. Um,
1: a double duty card like this also opens up sideboard slots. Yeah, Because a 1-mana one 1-3 one, comes in game 2 is legitimately a card I could just see in a sideboard.
0: I think a really Probably big thing to evaluate deck. with these kind of cards, and we haven't really explored this yet when it comes to the sideboard options of it, if you're in a position where it's a weird matchup and you're not sure, like there's like a lot of main deck stuff that's really good, and it's not super clear on what you take out in a certain matchup, you just take out lands for this kind of card. You have that ability because it is the land too, so you don't have to just swap it out with other spells. You can it can make your sideboarding a little bit easier. Um, and if you yeah, I could ability... say like
1: you like go against mono red. And if you want to have like your spell density, like your absorbs and your sweepers, you like cut a planes and add two of this. Or something along those lines. Like I, I I could see that happening. Especially like it is a very good point to bring up that like swapping lands for spells and stuff post board can be super relevant.
2: Yeah.
1: And adds and another dimension think. to deck building.
2: Maybe this is just how I evaluate cards differently than you guys. If something is just a creature that's fairly we'll say average. One three is an average card. It's not super big. Uh and all it does is it has a one time ETB trigger. I tend to undervalue that. Because it's like okay, I cast this card, I get the ETB trigger once, and then it's just a one three that I can probably block with because I'm probably not gonna swing for one damage with it because Yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't rate this as highly. I think it's still a good card. And yeah, I mean, I would probably put it mid-set. It's, I never would have thought of this as like an absolutely broken card. I see what Alex is saying, but I just I don't like things that do what, something one time, and then it's just a blank card, blank one-three. One thing I forgot to add,
1: and I actually, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot to look this up. I do not know how this interacts with Yorion. Can you play your dorky creatures, and then you play Yorion, blink your board, and let them all come back as lands? Can you do that? My,
2: my inclination would be no, because I believe that when it exiles, because of the way Yorion is worded, it says return that card. I believe that would mean that it would preserve what side it was on when it gets blinked.
0: I'd be interested in seeing what the ruling is on that, because I could see Yeah, I more.
2: would too. I, I don't know, that would just be my inclination is that whatever you play it as, it's stuck as that forever with Yorian. Now, I believe that as long as it's a legal target for if you play it as a creature and it gets destroyed, you can bring it back from the graveyard as a land, depending on what card you play.
0: So yeah, there, I know the interaction is like uh, you can um, like the, uh, the Gaia uh, card, Alex, um, or not even that, uh, cards that spe- uh, specify return land from Grave, like Crystal of Worlds. Um you can play those as lands when they're creatures from the graveyard. No, so you, you need to one.
1: you need to pick it based on the front side. You cannot bring this back with um Crucible of Worlds because No, they've already
0: ruled it that you can.
1: No, I think that it's on the top of your library with a card like Oracle of Moldiah. But I, I'm I'm maybe I'm wrong with that. I'm honestly not sure on the ruling. I thought I had to look this up, I forgot. So, um in case we're talking about something like this last next week, I'll make sure to have it sorted by then. <laughs> might even uh, try and uh, Reddit slash Google it up tonight or tomorrow, and then I might be able to post it on the Twitter. Just go um, to the
2: MTG at Home Discord server. We have a channel called Judge Questions. We have actual level two judges. Oh yes, appeared. I will. I will
1: go there and report back. Um, after, after the cast, or tomorrow, I will go there, and I will uh, discuss it with them, and then report back whatever the answer is.
0: Look at number four. I got Omnath and Friends. Um, I couldn't just make it just one. Um, I, they, these kind of come in as a package deal, because I think they're going to exist in a deck all together. Um, so you have Omnath, the new four-color one. I also have Ashaya, uh, and Ancient Green Warden. Now, I went into this a little bit in depth last week, um, but uh, so I'm not going to try and focus, it, focus on how in depth I go this week, because I went pretty deep uh, on the cast earlier, but on that, real quick, 4 mana, 4-4, four, four, elemental, it's a red, green, white, and a blue, and uh, enters the battlefield, draw a card, cool. Landfall? Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 4 life. If it's the first time, if it's the second time, you get the same as mana cost to your pool. So a red, a green, a white, and a blue. If it's the third time, deals 4 damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker you don't control. That's pretty good. Definitely seems, uh, and we've seen elementals exist in Pioneer already, so this is just something that's going to help put it over the edge um, to go 4-color elementals. But he's bringing friends. Um, First is Ashaya which is uh, a 5-mana, star-star, legendary creature elemental. Ashaya Soul of the Wild's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. But the thing is, non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. So at first, it counts, counts themselves. So it's a 1-1, one, because one, uh, they're a forest already. And uh, all your other dorks, your other creatures, and other elementals uh, in the right deck are buffing them as well and lastly ancient green warden four and two green it's an elemental a five seven has reach and you may play lands from your graveyard if a land entering a battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time so the big thing the reason i think all these exist great together is because uh you have omnath Get those beautiful landfall triggers that you want to, you know, trigger, and you now have this land panharmonicon style uh, creature, in ancient green warden, with the relevant creature type being elemental, and a shaya making all your other creatures and smaller elementals lands in addition, so they'll all trigger landfall. They'll trigger it multiple times with green warden on board, so Omnath quickly just goes, okay, gain eight life, make eight mana, deal eight damage to your, uh, to the stuff. Um, that's pretty pretty big and we already have existing elementals uh that are really good already in that particular tribe uh risen reef is really strong um we talked about cavalier of the thorns being a great elemental card that was already really great um in the uh in the elemental decks and this card's not necessarily on my list but i guess i can lump it in into this uh we're getting lotus cobra now lotus cobra is a good card um and uh, I think it, it's a perfect home for an elemental uh, deck. Even though it's not an elemental, the landfall is relevant, and you're going to be hitting lands a lot with things like Cavalier, Risen Reef, um, and other ramp shenanigans you want to go with. So I think elementals are going to be a deck in Pioneer. They already have been before. Um, this just—I mean, it's it's the snowbally kind of snowball deck that you know are fun to play against. Um, I think it's going to be something that pops up.
1: All right, so very quickly, before I go into a reaction to this, because you, uh, it's a lot of cards, so I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'll pick out yeah. a few. Um, I quickly went to the Judge channel and asked, um, double-faced cards, even when they're modal, always come back as their front side when you blink them. So that means if you blink the Sky Cleric with Yorion, it always comes in as the creature. That also means if you blink the land, it will re-enter as the creature because the creature is the front side. And if you bounce a land like the Balagat Retreat, and it comes back as Balagat Recovery, sorceries can't enter the battlefield, so it stays in exile. That's the ruling I got from the judges. Now, this was very quickly, so I didn't have like all the rule subsets to read to, but this is what I, uh, what I heard in our judge channel. So... Um, unless I hear the contrary, with all the evidence, blah blah blah, Uh, This is how I would say it is. And otherwise, I'll uh, let it know either next week on the cast or on our Twitter.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: All right. So to talk about the elementals, it's a lot to unpack. Uh, Omnath is higher on my list. Uh, Spoiler, it's my number three. So I'll go into it a little bit more when uh, I next come around. I'm not sure if I'm buying most of the other big elementals. Now, we have the other one that makes the plants and then pumps one, which is sort of Bad Avenger of Zendikar. But Avenger of Zendikar is such a powerful card that I can see bad Avenger of Zendikar being a reasonable card. I think, Matt, Ashaya is probably higher on your list. Uh,
2: I, I'm i not going to spoil anything. I will say that two of the cards that Brad named are higher on my list. All right. That's so odd. we've
1: got the big Elementals. I can see potential for them. I can definitely see Elementals be a deck. So some of these big ones might show up. I'm not seeing that much potential for the landfall panharmonicon one. I think it's a little too big and bulky for what it does, and I think you would rather just have more copies of the Avenger of Zendikar one or more copies of Omnath. So I think your curve gets clogged up at the top, where I'm not sure if I'm seeing it, but I can see like a go big ramp elemental style, like a team or well four color I guess with Omnath style deck pop up. I think it. I think it can be good, and I certainly think it can be a lot of fun to play.
2: Uh, I'll just talk about Omnath specifically because I have a couple other cards Brad mentioned that I'll talk about later. I think Omnath is really fun in a color Hyper Ramp deck just because of all the landfall triggers he gets. I don't think he's that great. He's not in my top 10. I probably wouldn't even put him in my top 20. Seems He's a little too ambitious for me, I think. Because four different colors to get him out there. But, I mean, I could definitely see him in an elemental deck working well. That's all I really say about Omnath.
0: I just think it's going to be a deck. It's already been a deck before. We've seen it. Um, more fringe than anything, but the deck wants to go over the top. It's similar to a ramp-style deck.
2: And, um, yeah, I, I think it's relevant.
0: So, Matt, what is your uh, number four?
2: My number four is a blue card. It is called Seagate Stormcaller. It's one and a blue. It's a 2-1 human wizard creature. It's got a kicker cost of four and a blue. And so when Seagate Stormcaller enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost two or less. You cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. So it's basically a two mana. Choose <clears throat> whatever ETB trigger you want, basically. Because you're going to cast whatever you're going to copy with right after it. So I imagine this. The, my, I'll say, Alex, you'll like this. Because even though I don't like Grixis, my first thought was, Oh, I can thought-seize them three times and just Losing six head. life. Losing six life, but also... <laughs> but also just dumping all of their good cards straight out of their hand and making them go into a top-deck race with me. So that was my first thought. I think it's, I, I love copying spells, I love copying spells, Twin Cast, which I don't think is pioneer legal, but I love those kinds of cards. So I saw this and I was like, ooh, this is fun. I get to copy a spell twice in the late game, or even, you don't even have to kick it, just copying a spell once is really good on turn three or four. So, yeah.
1: I have uh, personally lovingly started calling this card Prepcaster Mage. Put it yeah. in line, because you actually need to play it before you cast the spell. Um, I had this card at the bottom of my list before. I think it's a good card. It's a powerful card by itself. Uh, I have, and I think like a controlling strategy is an interesting way to take it. I have difficulty placing this card. Like where it would fit. Because the main deck I can see it in is like a wizard spell slingy type deck, like double casting. And I think you're often not triple casting, but it's fun to have it as a mana sink in the late game. Double casting an opt, double casting a shock, double casting a slip through space to get a blocker through, or something along those lines. I can see that being a very powerful deck. The problem I have with that is that means you're often putting it in a deck with a lot of one mana spells. So you're not getting full value out of your copy of CMC2 or less card. Now, whether or not that matters, I don't know. But I can see this card either being reasonable now or actually getting a lot of help when the um, Strixhaven set comes out. Because it's a wizard. And a lot of these cards trigger with instant sorceries, and wizards. Which I'm pretty sure is also going to be how Strixhaven is going to work.
2: So... I just thought of it. Burn spells is really good with this. Being able to double cast a burn spell, or even triple cast it in the late game to just deal nine mana to your, or deal nine life to your opponent to just end the game.
1: It's very annoying that Wizard's Lightning is officially three CMC, even though you cast it for one. That really bugged me when I looked at this card. <laughs> I wish it was. I wish that was a one mana spell, and it said if you don't control Wizard, this costs two more. Like this would be so much better.
0: <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, this card's higher on my list, so.
2: Wow. Yep. That's surprising. Ambitious. I like it.
0: Yeah. I think this card is incredible, so.
1: All right, well then. I can see it. I I had difficulty seeing it in a deck, but maybe you had, like, an idea that I didn't have, so I suppose we'll hear it when we get to you. All right, so
2: Alex, what's your number three card? My
1: number three, as I already spoiled in a bit, is Omnath, Locust of Creation. I think Omnath is simply a really powerful card. Like, it is probably the only card that I put on this list that is just raw power. Like, this card has so many words. For starters, it for some reason cantrips. I don't know why, but these cards always seem to cantrip for some reason. uh, Which I think is very powerful. Uh, Comes in, gains you four life, good against aggro the lines you can make with especially the free mana are disgusting. When you go with like Omnath and Uro, you can go like, I mean obviously a lot of these cards are good with Fable Passage, so kind of sound like a broken record, but you go this on turn 4 which is just a 4 mana, 4-4 four four that draws you a card, which is a good body. This sticks, you go like Fable Passage, Crackit, Ugin, or even Even if you play an Arboreal Grazer to make a second land drop, this can then get you 8 mana for something like Ugin. The the mana jump this card makes is what makes it so powerful, because we've seen it a lot with cards recently. Wilderness Reclamation, uh, Nyssa, Fires of Invention. Making a big jump in mana is very powerful, and this is the first time... Well, I suppose Nyssa kind of counts, because it turns your lands into creatures... Is that there is fine that this now also just gets in and rumbles. Right? Where like wilderness and fires they're keeping permanents that don't do anything on the board. This makes less of a mana jump because it's more work. But it is an active body and it has elemental synergies and it's a blocker. And as I said it draws you a card for whatever reason. This card is so Raw powered. There's lots of text. I don't think it's euro it's not. Uro. But no. it gives me the Euro vibes of this card just has so much freaking text on it that I can almost not believe that this card isn't good.
0: Um, Matt, I know you said this is uh or no. Did you already go with it? you went over this one, right? That was your last one?
2: No, oh. I didn't say omnath at all. i saw
0: um, on you
1: his
2: list. Said, you said you said two uh two out of the
0: three uh when I was on my moment. Okay, well ignore that. Um Honestly, I already went over this card. Um, the only thing I'm going to add is I think Adrian put it best uh, last week. When a card is actively encouraging you to make three land drops in a turn, um, that kind of gives you an idea of where uh, R and D and the way that uh, Magic has been being designed is kind of at. You know. Yeah. Um, that that's that's pretty crazy, especially in Standard alone. Not even talking about Pioneer, but. Um, I was
1: convinced of this card's power when I saw it on Versus Life, and Corey Baumeister put it in a four-color ramp deck. And I was looking at this, and I was like, this looks so good that this feels like the type of deck you can just port into Pioneer. Like, how we've had more standard ports into Pioneer. Especially considering that was brewed in a five-set standard. Like, which was a four-color deck that didn't have shock lands. Like, that deck can so easily be upgraded in the mana base, swap a couple of spells, and just port it into Pioneer.
0: Of course. Oh, and by the way, the green uh, Boltland uh, mythic is, uh, seems pretty good in, in an a elemental kind of deck, uh, or something that runs this. I think it's something you can do as well. Uh, but Matt? I already, your...
2: won- I already went over my, my thoughts about Omnath. I think it's a little too optimistic for me. for color. A lot for a deck. So if you're gonna play this, you're splashing probably either white or red to play It's not going in a true color deck, I think. Well, Lotus
1: Cobra, Lotus Cobra can fix your mana.
0: <laughs> pretty easily, yeah. I was gonna say, what is your number? Uh, your number uh, three. Oh, mine.
2: Did you do your number three, Brett? Did I? No, I didn't. Oh, wow.
1: I talked about how, my omelette. How,
2: how humble of me. You know,
0: this is a card that I don't expect to be on either of your lists. But I am really high in this card. Um, on last week's cast, we talked about a, uh, the challenges pretty briefly. Alex, did you listen to that cast at all? I listened
1: to most of it. I think I got halfway through, so I haven't listened at all. Do, do you remember
0: one of the two decks that won the challenge? There was two on the fifth and the sixth. Do you remember what, what decks won?
1: I'm really not sure. I remember, I think,
0: Pyromancer won one or not? Nope, that was the week before.
1: Oh, then I don't know. I don't
0: recall. It was Esper Control, was one. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Monoblack Vampires. Now...
1: It's Nighthawk. No, it's not. it's not. I, I, was, I was already out because like, that is not the number two card in this set.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, number three card in this set is Null Priest of Oblivion. This card... It is obscenely good. It provides something that you'll see a theme in my top three uh, of just pure flexibility. Mana sinks. Yeah, pure flexibility. Um, it's a relevant creature type. It's a 2-mana, two 2-1 two Vampire Cleric. Uh, it has Menace and Lifelink, Kicker, 3 and a Black. When no Priest of Oblivion enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um... Yeah, this is going to be really good in Vampires specifically. It doesn't have to be a four of or anything like that. Um, But if you play it turn two, it's fine. It's a two one, has menace and lifelink, it's irrelevant stats. Um, It can get in, get some points of damage, and that's pretty good. Uh, Late game, you top deck it. Um, This is like top decking a Sorin again, um, but better. Because let's say you have your Champion of the Dusk in the grave. You kicker it, you grab your champion desk, you draw two, you start refueling, and start going back into that. Um, and that's particularly in the vampire deck. Um, this also is a cleric. Um, clerics, uh, that kind of deck is, you know, be that sacrificey kind of aristocrats deck. That's usually where the clerics pop up. Um, they want to get stuff in the graveyard, so it's relevant in that kind of deck too, uh, where late game you can kick it and get some stuff back and kind of keep going with your cleric shenanigans and things like that. I just think the card's really good. I think the floor is already just fine. I don't mind playing a 2-1 a uh, creature on turn two with pretty good stats. Um, and late game, I'm more than happy to top deck this. I think it's... This is going to be... This is easily the most overlooked card in the set. And it's really strong.
1: I will say that you have convinced me that this card isn't a one-off fun off. Cause I saw this card and I was like, ah, that's cute. Now you can put this in your vampire deck to like, I don't know, if you if you feel like having it, art's pretty cool. Um You've convinced me that this card is better than that. I'm still not convinced it's great. Like, I think in maybe in Vampires it's not a one off fun of, but it's actually a one off Maybe two off, like serious one or two of, instead of a one off fun of. But I'm not convinced that this card is great. It's good to reanimate uh, Champion of Dusk, but I feel like the floor on this card is reasonably too low. Now, granted, one of the other cards that it runs in a deck is Gifted Aetherborn, which I know is a deck, a card people really love, but let's be honest, that's not the world's most powerful card either.
0: No, so this slots in pretty nicely as a gift to yeah, because gift to is already great to have the sideboard. You bring that in against like aggro matchups because it's a death death touch blocker and a Life Linker. That's yeah, and great. It, has, it has a bigger butt, like it, they, yeah, they it's a, it's a two three. It. But this one is more of what the vampire uh deck I think wants to do game one. I don't think you want to be setting up for a blocker, I think you want to be swinging in aggressively, which again. That uh, Aetherworks, um, Aetherworks Marvel, good god. Um, Gifted Aetherborn can do that efficiently because you don't want to block the Death Toucher, but this one has Menace. It has that same kind of evasiveness, and it has more of that upside that you can get into a late game, because I don't want to draw a gift, uh, Gifted Aetherborn turn 8,
1: right? That feels really yeah. bad. Also a less restrictive mana cost if you start on a Mood of Yep. So, yeah, I can see this in some number of the slots of Gifted Aetherborn. And considering Vampires is actually a pretty reasonable deck, it's like, what a challenge. It's a competitive, good deck in the meta right now. It's not the best deck, I'd say, but it is a good deck. So the fact that it slots into that, yeah, maybe this would have warranted a spot on my list in hindsight. Yeah, you, you've you convinced me that this card is actually just a reasonable, pretty good card as opposed to cute. I like it. I am convinced.
2: Yeah, I'm. I looked at it and I was like, this is a good card. You've convinced me how good it actually is. I was I just thought this was sort of okay. You know, just sort of a middle-of-the-line black card, decent kicker. And that, But I'll tell you where I first thought of this card going wasn't even in Pioneer. I have a really funny deck in Modern that runs One with Nothing, Ulamog, and your whole plan is to just throw Ulamog and your entire hand into the graveyard with One with Nothing because One with Nothing is the best worst card ever printed. And then and then reanimate it somehow. And I just looked at this and I was like, okay, so what you do, you cast this with the kicker. In response to its ETB trigger, you one with nothing your hand away and now Is that not a sorcery one with nothing? I believe it's an instant. Let's find out. It is an instant.
1: Wow. I did not know this.
2: Yes. Is so, your involved. opponent
1: thought seizes you, and you're like, hell no, you're getting none of the cards in my hand.
2: Nope, you can't see my hand. I'm just <laughs> gonna...
1: <laughs> You can see my hand right now. You can see it when it's in the graveyard. But yeah, that is. Uh... So, that, was, <laughs> that is that, some jank.
2: That, that, that's where I first saw it. I, now that you've talked about it, I'm convinced that it's in, Pi- in Pioneer, sort of in a mono black vampire aggro deck. Seems fine. Not on my list. I'll say that.
0: All right. Well, what is on your list, Matt? What is your number my three? My
2: number three pick is a card that we already talked about way, way, way earlier. It was Alex's number nine pick, I believe. Blood Chief's Thirst, and I reserved talking about it until just now. I think it's actually. You guys were talking about how it seems kind of on par with Fatal Push. I think it's actually a little better than Fatal Push. Simply for the fact that in the late game, once you're able to pick it, it can remove anything. It can remove Anissa. It can remove an Ugin. It can remove whatever Planeswalker or creature is bothering you without the even 4 mana cap. So I, I just think it's slightly better than Fatal Push. Other than that, I agree with everything you said. It's just good removal. I think the main
1: problem I have with it being like, if I were like, yeah, when you top deck it, it's a great draw. Now, that's obviously true. The problem I get, and this is a general people theme that i have seen with kicker cards and why i'm generally not as high on them as other people are or at least less is because a lot of people when they look at kicker cards they think of well what if i cast this kicked and well well yes it's going to be a better card if you cast it kicked that's why the kicker cost is there but fatal push early on in a lot of decks i think is a much better card instant speed makes it a combat trick of the revolt you can actually like something dies on your opponent's turn and then you get to like revolt in their turn so i would not say this is better than fatal push but i do agree with you simply that this is a very good card and everyone who calls this card bad is just wrong this card is powerful i'm just not sure if it beats out push
2: just being able to hit planeswalkers even if it's only when it's kicks. In- no two mana Is no two-mana
1: planeswalker. Yeah, it's very reasonable. Definitely yeah. between what I said about CMC restricted removal, there's also a problem that you sometimes run into with decks that you have only creature removal. And then your opponent plays walker, and this card does sidestep that problem very well. Yes.
2: So, that's just, that's my take on that card. You've heard that's my take
0: on it. And uh, yeah, I will uh, forfeit over number two to Alex.
1: All right, my number 2 is finally it's the Boltlands. I thought they were better than number 5. I think these cards are amazing because the opportunity cost on these cards is so low in the right deck. Now, I don't think people should like put four off of the blue one in their control deck cuz bolting yourself is a real cost. I find them overall especially good in more proactive decks. I think they are amazing. Or in cards in colors like red or white that have difficulty with flooding because they don't have a good way to ensure flooding, their card draw is worse. And just being able to have a higher chance of top-decking a spell, even if it's expensive, is really, really good. Like opportunity cost is a very important thing in magic and in evaluating whether or not a card goes into your deck. And these cards shatter that in the right shell now three life is a real cost so the opportunity cost is low but not like just four of them in every monocolored deck not even in monocolored aggro decks i wouldn't four of them but as one-offs maybe two-offs i think they are amazing they do something truly like special now if i would rank them i would clearly disagree with you guys i would rank them black is probably the best. But maybe green, I could see green being better. I just find black because I'm I rate the X1s a little bit higher because they are are less prohibitive in when you can cast them. Like if you're playing like a zombies deck, just going four mana, get my crypt breaker back so I can start drawing cards. Like the fact that you can already have this like flood insurance so early. Because with the white one, even though I think it's better than you guys, I can see the issue where like, yeah, but once you're drawing five lands, you already have the problem when you're flooding. And if this is your drawing, this is your fifth land, you still can't cast it, so it doesn't really change much. Where I feel like the X one is very flexible. The green one, I mean, I said, we're talking about overall, it's probably better because of Titan, but that card's not in Pioneer. So I would rank them black, green, white, red, and then blue last... I think the blue one is pretty
0: damn bad. The floor is horrible. It's seven mana draw one. And but the the thing is that I hate
1: about the blue one is the floor is so lo- just play a cycling land or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? If you're like, "Oh, I don't want to have this terrible draw later." And if you're playing a slower deck cuz this does this goes in slow decks, right? I mean, maybe you played like in your wizard tribal aggro, because you want the untapped land early, and you're fine paying 7 mana to cantrip late, but you can't have tapped sources in your deck, because you're an aggro deck, maybe it's a one-off there or something, but bolting yourself is a real cost in an it aggro deck. Because you tend to be like... People are swinging back at you. And you're playing this in a control deck. If you're tapping out for a 7 mana sorcery, and you are drawing multiple cards you're either dead on the crackback or you're already winning Mm. that that's the problem i have with the blue one and we've we've talked about the black and the green i said the black is flexible the green one has very high roll potential especially i thought it could only grab cmc three or smaller and then make them bigger apparently it can grab everything it just makes three cmc cards bigger which is really powerful um the white one, as I said, I think is good because we've had a theme where white has lands that do stuff, like white has lands that make tokens, we've got Legion's Landing, we've got Castle Ardenvale. White Weenie, already since Ixalan, has had this fallback plan of, I'm going to rush you with small creatures and if you start sweeping me, I'm just making one or two tokens every turn. And I'm just going to poke you to death that way. And I think Emirias Sky- Call, I think it's called, Call. is a nice addition to that. And the red one for me is good because it's an x cost so it's flexible right just paying four mana to ping two one ones early on in the game can just win you games like just getting two blockers out of the way you're playing against vampires and they playing their two one menace lifelink creatures and you just you're in your aggro deck and you're like right four mana, i get these two efforts out of the way start swinging you again I think the X cost makes it very flexible. The blue one's just such a burden. What deck wants this? Right, if you're playing a blue-white control deck, just play the Sky Cleric. It's good against aggro. Making land drops is also good in slow matchups. Play play the Planar Cleansing one. If you play blue, Blue, another blue deck, play the tapped blue one that is also like an impulse for an instant or sorcery. So when you're falling behind, you just cast that one and you find a dick through time or a hieroglyphic illumination or a supreme verdict if you need it. I don't see why you ever want this blue one. Unless you're shocking yourself into sweep the board, but then you really don't. You're like really unhappy that you had to bolt yourself for this for the minor upside. I think you're going to lose more games bolting yourself to cast supreme verdict then you are winning games, top-decking this, and drawing a bunch of cards.
0: I think the best way I can evaluate the, uh, the blue one in, in, uh, separately from the other ones is that if I saw a deck running four of any of these, the white, the black, the red, and the green, I could be like, I may not agree with running four of them, but I can understand it. Where the blue one, I can never understand running four of. No. You run, you run two could, or
1: one. I could never understand probably running two. Yeah. I, I can see, because I've had this through deck building, and usually I've used the blue castle, which I also think the blue castle is probably better than this uh, for the type of deck that wants it. Uh, just like upkeep's cry to like try and dig yeah. for specific cards or something, which you can do much earlier. It's an untapped source that doesn't hurt you. It does have the restriction on needing an island, which can be real in like a three-color deck or something. But I always had this point where sometimes I felt like I wanted like 25 and a half land in my deck. And then the half land is usually a castle, which sometimes enter tapped, a cycling land, uh, a Muda Vault, like a colorless land. I can see this in that slot maybe, but to be honest, I I I can't really. I think the blue one's bad. All the other ones are good.
2: Yeah. I like the blue one. But I'm the kind of person who likes to draw my entire deck on turn five or six, so...
1: I mean, you're already winning, then.
2: I would, yeah. I would play I would play four of this and just go for the ultimate, just give me my entire deck and either I win Dude, this You're going to
1: win with Thassus Oracle fairly. You're going to actually go through the process of drawing your entire deck.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I, I, my philosophy with this is give me four of them, I will draw my entire deck on turn seven... And then either I will win that turn, and by that time you will dead.
1: You'll be dead on turn four. And then you have to shock this in while you're at three life, and oops, you can't. Like, that's the problem I have with this. But overall, because they're number two on the list, just the quick recap, opportunity cost is super low. Certain decks, they just straight up go in. Like, you have the deck now, and the only thing you do is, like, swap a swamp for the Black Bolt land, And just, your deck is better now. It's such an easy upgrade to make decks better.
0: Well, I, you probably convinced me a little bit how the blue one is closer to being the worst one. I still think the red one is, because be, they're the same argument for the blue one. they are just far better cards in, in the slot that it runs. Um, but I mean, regardless, I think they're all uh, Okay.
1: I would yeah. Even the blue one, I would never fault anyone for initially putting one in their deck to try. Yeah. If I see one in a list, I would never be like, oh, what a bad idea. I just ask that person, like, are you sure this is worth it? But I would never think it's like, oh, what a terrible idea to put this Bolt Boltland in this deck. Like, no.
0: Well, we talked about this one earlier. Uh, my number two is Seagate Stormcaller. I just think it's very good. Uh, I'm going to have a very bold take on where I find this card to fit in this format. This will be Pioneer's Snapcaster Mage. That's the role that this is going to fit in. Albeit, it's slightly different. It's not you know, recurring things. It's being a bit more proactive rather than uh, reactive, basically. Um, but yeah, I think this card has homes to kind of go into. It fits in... Controll-y kind of shells it fits into um, more spell slingy kind of shells this certainly has combo p- uh, potential like it certainly can fit in that kind of uh, deck where you're just like you just copy like okay like thousand year storm is a very powerful card, but it costs so much and if you essentially have this type of ability on thousand year storm, but it's on this body and it's flexible and it can come in and be, you know, more of a three drop or a four drop. Like if, if you drop this on turn three and you opt a couple of times to help dig for better stuff in the in the right matchup, like game one, you're not too upset. Um, it certainly does its job. But then you play it, you know, with its kicker cost later on and you're like, well, this is going to win the game right now with whatever you're copying at that point. I think the ceiling is incredibly high. This card certainly only gets better with the Age of the Format, and it's, uh, this one is going to be one that I think is, honestly, not anytime soon. This is far into the future of Pioneer, next couple years even. It's bannable. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that you look at in a combo shell, where they're like, rather than ban the thing that helped break this card, we're going to ban Seas- uh, Seagate, because that's just what they do a lot of the times. Um, so I think this card is certainly a, something that can you know, teeter on that kind of uh, that line uh, it's very strong and um, I think that it's only going to get better
2: this card makes me wish Traumatize was legal in Pioneer
1: we've got Traumatize for one mana more <laughs> right we've well, we got the Cacophony Maddening Cacophony
2: Mill half the library? Is that what Maddening Cacophony does?
1: It's It's one and a blue for mill eight, or you can kick it for an additional four, and you mill half your opponent's library.
2: See, Traumatize is just mill half of your opponent's library. Yeah, but that's
1: five mana, and Cacophony just does it for six. But it is legal, so
2: you could... Because my first thought is, well, just copy that twice, and then they're milling half, and then half of the half, and then half of the half of the half. And it's like, they've
0: got four cards left. Now they're to going off, just um, one with, like, Frank Sanity into... Yeah, memory, well,
1: yeah. well as, uh, this might be a spoiler for when we go into the uh, cards you wish were on your list segment. Yeah. Because I've got something to say about that. But, because I I think Cacophony might be reasonable. But I, I'm not seeing this Stormcaller in, like, a milling strategy because I think, overall, actively casting mill cards to just take a chunk out of your opponent's deck is a bad way to play Magic, overall um i think seamgate stormcaller is reasonable calling it like the format snapcaster mage is ambitious i'll say i think the card is is good and i do agree with you that this card might be good or reasonable now but could be incredible in like three or four years so like i'm gonna set like a reminder in my calendar for 2022 when this card rotates out of standard and potentially goes to like five or ten bucks to get my play set then right (laughs) before i forget i don't know if it sees that much play in the meantime is that i think this card is going to be very reliant on um whatever comes out of uh strixhaven if we get a card like if we get more cards with the wizard theme like dominaria and maybe we get some good two-mana cards that become one-mana if you control a wizard, for example, something along those lines. Like maybe that's gonna be like super good with this. I'd have to see this in a shell, but I can yeah. be convinced very quickly once I do. Matt, Any idea what? of Grix- Grix's wizards control? What Matt said with thought, seizing your opponent multiple times sounds like totally my type of thing.
0: Yeah, that sounds <laughs> fun.
1: Turn three, this, thought cease, You've convinced me, Matt. I'm building this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, Matt, what you got number two? Number two, Lotus Cobra.
0: Okay. Because
2: okay. it's just a good card. All it is, is it's just, I play this card, and now every turn for the rest of the game, assuming I hit my land drops, I have one mana advantage over my opponent. I have one extra mana than they will. And it's Cost 2, I think. It's 2 mana. Yeah, it's so 2, two mana for a 2-1. And then when you play it, it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, add 1 mana of any color.
0: The any color is the big big thing about this card, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I lumped it in with the elemental thing at number 4, so I guess I would consider this a tie with Omnath and the other elementals at number 4. Um, otherwise, it's not on my list. It's certainly a strong card, um, and uh, I'm excited to see what decks kind of pop out and pioneer with it because um, it's the potential's there. Uh, I just uh, I think right now you're going to see a lot of people wary of leaning towards this card in most decks, and you're going to stick with your you know your your eight elves basically. Here's
2: here's where I think that this card shines, and why I think this card shines. We are in a meta right now, as we talked about, where we're seeing a lot of decks that. Just try to make extra mana in whatever way they can. And this card is exactly what that is. It just makes an extra mana every time you play a Forest. Pair that with Landfall, you can make even more mana. But even without it, it's pretty good. I mean, having a mana advantage is one of the first things you learn as a new Magic player. Is You want to have more mana than your opponent does. So I just think it's very, very good. It slots into Mono Green well. I don't think you cut a dork for it, but you could if you wanted. We'll get into that with my number one pick, but uh, yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's great, actually.
1: I think it's okay. I think people are going to put this in decks in spots where they should run Sylvan Carriedid. Uh Or even Paradise Druid. Like, this card, requiring you to make a land drop every turn, means that it's no better than sylvan carry it did it's actually worse because it's harder to kill i suppose it's like it can attack but then i'd rather have paradise Druid it because tax proof on your opponent's turn unless your deck is consistently so not just like i play an euro every once in a blue moon is consistently playing extra land drops i yeah. think people are overvaluing this card because of how good it is in modern or how crazy is... everybody's seen these games where like I think Jace the Mind Sculpt, when it got unbanned, I saw a Jim Davis' video where he had a list with like uh, Lotus Cobra, Oracle of Mildaya, powering up Primeval Titans. It's like, wow, this deck makes like a thousand mana on turn three. Well, first of all, welcome to 2020, where every deck does this. And um, I just don't think it's that good without fetches. It's fine. I think it's a good, reasonable card. And in the right deck, where you're playing like an Omnath deck, I think like it can be good there, because yep. Omnath encourages you to actively t- find ways to make more land drops. Like You're going to put Arboreal Grazer in your deck, but it's actually going to be like really good in that deck. And then I can see Lotus Cobra being better, because then it starts looking like um, Grove Tender or some Bloom Tender, where it's like tapping for two or three colors, tapping, quote-unquote, for two or three colors every turn. And there I can see
2: it being very good. But overall, I don't know. I will say that when I reveal my number 1 pick, my number 1 pick synergizes to... with
1: it very well cuz I can yeah. I exactly know what card that is. I don't even have yeah, to it
2: synergizes with Lotus Cobra very well. So
1: so yeah, so like if you find a way to play it, I'm just afraid people are going to put it in their deck when they shouldn't. Like if you're listening and you're considering putting Lotus Cobra in your deck, consider balancing it out against Sylvan Caryatid and Paradise Druid. Because this card doesn't actually give you a mana every turn, because you need to make a land drop. You're going to start missing land drops at one point when Sylvan Caryatid just taps for mana. anyway. But it's, it's, it's a fine card. I like it. It's a cool reprint to see. I'm very happy it's at rare instead of at mythic. Great improvement. This card shouldn't be a mythic, and it also shouldn't be so expensive for us commander players out there, which are driving up the prices of virtually any card that's flashy. So... <laughs>
2: I will say I almost didn't put this card on the list because it is a reprint and not a new card but I decided it's just too good it's got to go on the list. It's
1: new to Pioneer. It's new to Pioneer, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't put on a reprint that was already in the format but it's new to Pioneer so I think it's a fair game to put it on the list.
0: Well, before we get to our number one picks, I think we all kind of have a, um honorable mention to go with. Uh, someone that you felt was on the bubble.
1: Yeah, I'll, I have a f- well. I have a bunch of cards that were like spooking around the list, but the one that I will focus on, because it also makes another card better that could have been on, is uh, Maddening Cacophony. I already kind of mentioned it earlier. I don't think mill overall is a very powerful strategy. However, this card feels like a cool niche in a mill deck. So first of all, Fraying Sanity, uh, play Fraying Sanity, kick this, you mill your opponent's entire library. You win the game. Congratulations. It's a two-card combo that fits in a Demir shell where have we seen that before Yep. um but i think the mill eight is just good to set up other cards and the main ones i'm looking at is there's anti cognition in this set which is quench except if your opponent has eight or more cards in your library then it's literally just better than original counter spell because it's one in a blue counter target spell and as its controller pays two if your opponent has more the eight or more cards in her graveyard, instead simply counter that spell and scry two on top of that, which is great. But I'm thinking mostly of drowning the Log and Into the Story from uh, Eldraine. Hmm. The only problem I see with this deck is that actively milling your opponent can be to your detriment. You could be helping your opponent by doing that. Real they can... Yeah, or even just dig through time. And dig through time is even nastier at instant speed. Because you can attempt to like anti-cognition your opponent's card like maybe they like thought sees you right they thought sees you to like see the coast is clear you go to anti-cognition it in response they empty their yard with dick through time and just pay the two like that's the type of thing that this deck can enable which is why I didn't think it was good enough but that's more because actively milling your opponent is bad now what if uro and dick through time like a year from now are banned look back at this this could be a deck a Demir control deck with mill as its finish
0: could be very good. Yep. Another thing that this goes into pretty easily. Uh, we're seeing the dredgeless dredgeless. The dreddless, dreddless. You can't
1: target yourself. It only mills oh. opponents. That's the problem. If you could traumatize yourself, I think this card would be really good.
0: I was thinking about breaking an engine. Yeah. If, you could, no, if oh. you could.
1: Now, if you could dredgeless dredge, you could mill your half of your own library and hit like four creeping chills and three priced amalgams. that, that would be. It would be a ver- it would have made it on the list
0: it would have probably made it into modern drudge
1: yeah, potentially glimpse, yeah. Un- glimpse the unthinkable on yourself is not uncommon in those formats I think.
0: Uh, honestly yeah uh, for my honorable mentions, I pretty much had the entire sweep of the uh the mill the mill cards um, <laughs> Madden cacophony, um, relic golem, uh, wool mage's domination, ruin crab. Um, I just think that a mill deck in a demir shell, like you're saying, Alex, is certainly a a deck that can pop up and exist. And um, you now
1: got eight crab in modern.
0: Yep, exactly. Crab rave. uh, I just (laughs) yeah, it's um, it's cool. It's gonna pop up. Gonna be a deck, and I think it's a. I think it's a fun deck. I think it's good enough to, to do some things in Pioneer. It um, won't be tier 1 by any means, but certainly it'll be a deck that we'll see play and win some games, and you'll be a little annoyed when you uh, lose to it. Such is the life of Mill. Yes. <laughs> Matt, what you guys your honorable mention? Carrot
2: the Raging Isle. Which is... That's the big
1: old crab. That's, That's the yeah, 017, the big right? Big
2: crab, the yes. Zero... He's four mana, so he's two and two blue. He's 017, like we just said. Spells your opponent's cast that target carries The Raging Isle. cost two more to cast. And you can pay three to give him plus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of islands you control. So he's basically, on your, on your opponent's turn, he's just an almost insurmountable body to just throw in front of whatever you don't want hitting you. And then on your turn, you just tap six islands, give him plus six, minus six. Now he's a 611 that can do a lot of damage. And even if they block him, they're probably not going to kill him.
1: Ferocious Hydra, X equals seven, double it. You're like, sure, 017.
0: (laughs) Remember, um, it's three costs and a dozen taps you can do multiple times. So if you do have six islands, then you tap for six mana. It does it twice. So he'll, he'll he'll get plus X twice. So he'll get plus twelve five. minus twelve. He'll be a, a twelve five,
2: <laughs> which is still funny. Yeah, this card is a meme, but it is a good meme.
0: This yeah, card, uh, this I is good. Of walls
2: is better than people think it is. I mean, it's funny because whoever turn? It is. It's exactly what you need for that. If it's your opponent's turn, it's a huge body. Nothing's getting through a 0-17 and when it's your turn, it's a huge swinger. Nothing's gonna... If you find a way to give this thing trample, the game's over.
0: The one last thing I'll say about this is you can activate the 3-minute thing on at instant speed on your opponent's turn, so if they swing into it, then you can still be like, big crap. And then, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, you can also just make it work with high alert and just have it be effectively That's a 17-17. That's what I'm
0: saying. And
1: unblockable, if you have the Tetsume Umezawa or something yeah. from Dominaria. Yeah, yeah. 1717 17 unblockable for four mana. Cool card. That, sound, that card. sounds like a card from 2020.
0: Arguably my favorite card in the set.
1: Yeah. Maybe. I, I laughed when, I, when this was spoiled. I was just. Because it was the last day of spoilers. This was one of the last cards spoiled until, before we got the dump. And I was like, what a great card to end on. Well,
0: at this like, point, looking at our number ones, I am 3000% confident my number one is not on your lists
1: at all. Well, people who have been paying attention can already deduct what my number one is.
2: People who have been paying attention can deduct what my number one is as well.
0: And no one has a goddamn clue what mine is. I love it. All right, Alex, your number one. My number
1: one. A card that should not have been printed. A card that is as egregious as Beast Within when it comes to card design, where it's just like, this should not be a thing feed the swarm this card i was mind blown when i saw this printed when i saw this spoiled it's like why did they print this and i'm a grixis player i have lost so many games to enchantments i cannot deal with and i am still angry that this card is being printed black shouldn't do this colors should have strengths and weaknesses and I've heard people say on Reddit when this card was spoiled, well, but black's not that good of a, co- good of a color anyway. Shut the hell up. Black is a perfectly fine color. We have thoughtsies. I'd have argue that black's the best color. Sweepers like Shadow's Verdict, which sure aren't like generally applicable, but are blowouts, thoughtsies, fatal push. Like, what do you mean black's not a good color? Death Shadow in other format, Gurmog Angler. Why did black need this? Why are why don't why do a friend of mine put this perfectly? What what idiot designed this card? This is better than most white enchantment removal. Like it's so stupid. I don't even know yeah. if this is like an auto include in certain meta. Well, in certain metas, it obviously is, but like. The life loss can be a real cost, especially because two-mana black removal has been really good recently, where we got Heartless Act and Eliminate, which are effectively just two-mana murder and two-mana almost murder that can also kill plain walkers, which are two incredible cards. So I don't think you just, ah, just slop this. just put this in your main deck and like take five as you kill an Elspeth Conqueror's Death. No, but in the right meta, this is ridiculous. You, you can now, in a black deck kill Leyline of Sanctity, which you still couldn't with Farika's Libation because it targets a player, and you're not allowed to target the player. So you can now play like Mono-Black Discard and get rid of Leyline of Sanctity, which is, that was supposed to be the downside of your deck. It, it's so dumb. This is one of the dumbest cards of all time. I think Discard, hot take, card is dumber than Uro. And that's not because it's better than Uro, but Uro does something its colors are supposed to do, it just does way too much. Like, it is just a Simic card up to 11. This is something a black card just shouldn't do. So I think this card is dumber than Uro, because Uro is just overpowered, but it doesn't do something that it wouldn't be supposed to do. If you know what I mean. It's stupid. It's one of the dumbest magic cards potentially of all time, at least in modern design.
0: I get it. I mean, yeah, we, I went over it earlier. It was my number six. Again, I didn't even, I didn't even want to put it on the list because it, it's, it's a frustrating card to have.
1: Oh, I hated having this at number one, but I couldn't have it anywhere else because it just fundamentally breaks what this deck is supposed to do, what this color is supposed to do. I wanted to rank cards, what I said earlier, like they add something new, like how Cleansing Wildfire adds mana base punishing, well, like punishing greedy mana-bases, Two greedy mana bases, which is unique. This card just adds something. This is a new level.
2: Yep. Uh, I just want to say when this episode comes out, there's going to be a war on the server because there are a lot of people on our Discord server who I have heard say unironically that this card is literally unplayable because it's garbage. I don't care. I've seen
1: no play for five years. Just like how Beast Within isn't a green staple in Modern either. That doesn't mean it's not a dumb card.
2: I I actually tend to agree with you, Alex. I think this card is very powerful. Uh, Black should not have enchantment. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. This card is stupid. Should never have been printed. Wizards, what were you thinking?
1: If you want targeted enchantment removal, you can put Scour from Existence in your deck and pay seven. Like, otherwise, just suck it up. You're playing mono black, this is your weakness. It's exploitable, I know. I've been on the receiving end.
0: <laughs> well, my number one. So, there's been something that's been consistent throughout my list. You can count Omnath, but I won't. Because that's not what the color he is. He's a four-color dumb thing. He's basically green. Um, and yet yeah, the first time we got a second color, it was red. Otherwise, though, we haven't had any red cards in my list. Until now, at number one. Wayward Guide Beast. I'm just kidding. Good. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just. You had me for a second. I was about to. I was about to just leave
1: the recording. I was like, "This is (laughs) that was the biggest bait I've fallen for in a long time." For those of you
0: who don't know, haven't seen it, Wayward Guide Beast is the worst card in the set. It's a one mana two two trample haste beast. If that was the stats, oh my god, great. This is amazing. But, whenever it deals damage to a player, or combat damage to a player, you return a land you control to, your, to its owner's hand. It's horrible. It's, this it's, is the it's,
1: second it's, card I'm going to open in a pre-release. <laughs>
0: uh, but, that being said, I was not lying when I said that my number one card was a red card. Magmatic Chandler. One and a red for a 1-3 Human Wizard. As long as there are four or more instant in our sorcery cards in your graveyard, Magmatic Channeler gets plus three, plus one. Then it has tap, discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library, and choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. I think this card is incredible. I am so high on this card. I think, like I said, my three my top three cards all have something in common. They all basically do something. On curve or late game? Um, this one, you want it earlier rather than not. But the reason I like this one so much is just think of Baby Jace in, in some strategies. Um, you can argue the downside of Baby Jace and the downside of this card is like, yeah, just push it. Okay, cool. You know, I got you to use your removal on it, whatever. But Baby Jace, people will play it on turn two all the time and try to start looting with it and then eventually get into a bigger, more powerful kind of, uh, you know, effect. Sorry, my Google Home heard me say something, and it's starting to just talk to me now, and I have no <laughs> idea what the hell it's talking about. It's talking about, like, the temperature in, like, 2003 and something? I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, the other thing that this does, it's, it's a different kind of, um, you know, role than what Jace plays. It's similar in the sense that it loots, sort of, Um, but it exiles the top two. It's like basically having a slightly downgraded um, light at the stage on a body. But the big thing is it fills in another role. It becomes a 4-4 for two that you just start swinging in in with. Um, It's good against aggro. It's a great blocker already as a 1-3. And then you just make it a 4-4 and start going with it. Um, you can discard a card, start filling your yard in the relevant decks that so you want to have things in your yard, Exile out of the top two, and you're like, okay, cool. I have to remove a lot of these top two. Sorry, i hitting you with that. Um, I just think the card has a lot of utility. That's, that's why I think this card's great. The utility of it far surmounts everything else in this set as far as what it can do and the kind of decks it can go in. Because even if I saw you playing this, Alex, and your Grixis control, I'd be like, yeah, sure, because it's a great, it's a good blocker. It does, it digs what you want and and finds you stuff to kind of go into. And even if you just exile, and again, the big thing about this, it says you may play that card this turn. You can play lands off of it, so you don't always whiff. It's not like Chandra's Plus where it's like you can cast it, because then you're like, okay, well I just can't cast the land. And even in a situation where you just hit land land you're digging closer to your threat anyway and Grixis has ways to dig already um, I don't know if you're playing the uh, the one from Guilds Ravnica the two mana surveil to draw card um, I always thought that was No fine. but I,
1: if you would play this in a controlling strategy I would shy away from any counter magic
0: yes, like, if you want to play this, this in a slow deck yeah it would be proactive. a
1: sorcery speed control deck like you would play dread yep. Boar instead of hero's downfall like that sort of thing like
0: yeah, exactly. Um I and it can also fit and this can also fit in a deck with the uh the other card I mentioned at my number two, the uh the Seagate Stormcaller. Those can exist together in the same deck in like a spell slingy kind of uh For sure. wizard package. Um and uh there's a player on our Discord server that plays an Is It Control deck. Um this can fit into that deck pretty well too. His is also a little bit Reactive as well. It's a mixture of being proactive. Yeah,
1: I think he did have the dream of like, oh, then I can discard and then counter something on my opponent's turn. It's like that, that seems like wishful thinking, but
0: you could in a pinch, you could. Yeah. Um, the if it's obviously a bit worse when I mean, it's still pretty good on your opponent's turn because you discard a card, exile two, and you just like, okay, I find my instant speed stuff. Uh, but it is better in a proactive deck.
1: I just think yeah, but then in... you need to have all instant speed stuff, which is kind of the problem with this card. Yes, this effect is almost sorcery speed. Yeah, because otherwise you're gonna hit lands, you're gonna hit other copies of Magic Channeler, you're gonna hit sorcery speed removal, or you're gonna need not the right card for the right situation. So maybe you don't even want to cast it.
0: I think it's good. It also can fit in an aggro shell, um, like a wizard's aggro package. There's just like it, you all of a sudden have a four-four coming in. Um, the deck, um, this, this card is the epitome of what utility means as the word, and I think that's why it's gonna. It's it's why it's my number one. It can go into so many different decks and do its job well enough to where it's gonna. This is gonna put in way more work than you expect it to. I'll leave it at that. Yeah.
1: So this was initially like when I did the first rough take on the list, just like Stormcaller, this was on. Um, It sunk off the list to like a, I don't know, like a number 17, 18 or something. I get what you're saying with the flexibility, but I have the same problem with the Stormcaller. I just have to see it in action. It feels very wishful thinking to me, where I don't see how much better this, if this is any better than Jace. Like I would probably want Jace most of the time rather than this. A
0: problem well, that's why that if it it's it a similar role of Jace, but it's not the exact thing. Jace is yeah, more but like reactive. This is more proactive. Yeah, but I'm not sure how proactive this card actually
1: is because how often is it going to be a one three? I would assume you're probably delving your cards away for a treasure cruise or a dig through time. So that's that's kind of the problem I see with this card. How, is it not too often going to be a one three? in an aggressive shell, wouldn't you just want like a Vyoshino Pyromancer that is more aggressively statter just domes your opponent? So the main problem I have with this deck, it looks flexible, it looks good. I like it a lot. I think it is great design. I think it's super fun. I'm just not seeing it. Like maybe if this was a 2-2 that gets like plus 2, plus 2, so you can be a little bit more proactive even if it isn't enabled, or I'm I'm not sure. Maybe it's even better this way. I'd have to see it in a list. And I think, come Strixhaven, we should all look at this card again.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Though I do think Stormcaller is better. Especially because Stormcaller ages better. Like Stormcaller is still going to be... I would say Stormcaller could be not playable now, can be great five years later. If this card isn't good now, I don't see it being good in five years.
2: I get that. Matt, what Matt. about you? Uh, I think it's fine. Definitely not my number one pick. Obviously, I said I I only threw a red card in there just to have it. Um, I mean, sure. It reminds me of the Chandra Pyromancer. That plus one, then you exile the top three, and you can cast. Which I'm told is good, but I don't see.
1: Granted, this is a two drop. That is a five drop. So if that type of utility yeah. is your thing, run this.
2: <laughs> yeah, the thing is, I don't see it. I mean, it's bad card draw because you draw you basically draw it since you have access to it but then if you don't use it by the end of the turn it's gone forever because it doesn't even go to graveyard so you can't even somehow recur it it's just gone so I don't really see it great I mean I see the potential for it but I don't think it's that great
1: yeah well what I will say on top of that that makes me rethink a point I made earlier where I said like this is the type of deck that would run dread bore over, like, Hero's Downfall, if you're going to Grixis Shell. I'm not even sure if you want that. This might be more restrictive to an it Shell, where you want, like, all your removal to be able to go face. You want, like, all Lightning Strikes, Wizard's Lightnings, that sort of thing. So this this card becomes better the fewer, like, fail states it has. You kind of want to build your deck in a way that you tap this, discard a card, and it's always a hit. Yeah. I don't think you ever want to get, like, like sure, sometimes you get land land, that's just the nature of the game. You cannot build your deck any differently. I suppose now you've got spell land, so that gives you options too. You've got like yeah. the spike field hazards, you can even dome your opponent for one if you feel like. But I like the card. I think it's fun. Uh I would definitely like to play with it. I might brew up when Strixhaven comes out, you sure as hell know that I'm brewing a wizard deck. I was so disappointed with wizards in Dominaria that I hope they're gonna do a better job in um in Strixhaven.
0: Feels like they have to.
1: Yeah, if like the from Dom- one of the sub-themes from Dominaria is worse than the main theme in this set, you have a problem.
2: <laughs> Alright, Matt, you're number one. Alright, oh, I God. doubt this will come as a shock to anybody. Uh, my number one pick is Ashaya, is a Soul of the Wild. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a, it's a five mana, so it's three in green. It's a legendary elemental creature. Ashaya, Soul of the Wild's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. Now, I know somebody on this podcast thinks this card is absolute garbage. So, but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of talk about this. But let me tell you why this card is perfect for... Mono Green Planeswalkers because I believe that this card is actually just an instant add in Mono Green Planeswalkers. It is the perfect complement to Nissa who shakes the world. You have now turned every permanent that you could ever cast, except for Nykthos and Oath of Nissa, into forests that can tap for two or three mana. Every single turn. So, what do you take out of the deck? Well, that's easy. You just take out a couple of dorks. Because by taking out those dorks, putting in a Shia, now every creature you control is a dork. So you're not really losing anything off of removing a couple of dorks. Maybe instead of running 12 dorks, you run 10 dorks. Make it a 2 of. I think you could even go up to 3 or 4 of, but I think 2 is probably the correct number. And you've turned literally every card in your deck, almost into just a nissa engine to just make every just make how much mana do you want to make because you're going to make it you want to make a thousand mana there's probably a way to do it so i really believe that this card is just going to bust mono green wide open this card i think is going to make mono green the standout top deck of the meta i think anybody who plays mono green look at this card this card needs to be in that deck
1: Alright, so let's uh, you know, it's almost like the Scooby-Doo reveal, right? Put the mask, up, Pull the mask off of the guy who thinks this card is hot garbage. Hello! I think this card is terrible. But that's just because this card is like the epitome of wishful thinking. The card pairs well with Nyssa. Yeah, so does every other green card ever. Like, It's just, yeah, if you have Nyssa, you have a million mana. Yeah, but you're fine having half a million mana, which is what you've got when you're playing your Nyssa. It, it, I don't, like, you're talking about cutting dorks. I sure as hell hope you're not cutting any Llanowar Elves or Elvish Mystics.
2: No, if you're going to cut dorks, you're cutting the Visionaries.
1: But the Visionary doesn't even see play in every list, as far as I know.
2: Right. You could also, if you want to go really, really deep... Cut the cut some burning tree emissaries. The They're one-time use. I mean, yeah,
1: but they they make the big jumps. They make the explosiveness of the deck. They make it so you can play these five drops early, like Elvish Vision, uh, Lanor Visionary, gives you the one, three, five jump, which is why a lot of these decks have started topping out at Elder Gargaroth, for like turn one Elf, turn two, Visionary, turn three Elder Gargaroth. And you're just breaking that up. I feel like you're cutting into the consistency of mono green just to add just a vanilla beat stick. Like, the, I think the fact that you turn your cards into forest is hardly relevant. And, and the card is so tiny. Like, it comes in, you're playing mono green. You don't have five lands when you're casting this. It comes in Ooh, as a 3 awesome. 3. It counts your Lana Elf and your Burning Tree Emissary as two lands. Boohoo, you've got a five mana 5 5. Like, it has no trample. It has no vigilance. I would think this card was better if it wasn't so bad itself. It's but just a you've... vanilla beat
2: stick. Like... But you just hit the nail on the head, Alex. It comes in on turn two as a five mana, five, five. Then on turn three, because you're going to have a third land drop, you're going to. You've
1: got a six, six.
2: You've got a seven, seven, because whatever you cast with that land is now also a forest. So that counts as well. You can uptick it to every single turn for free just by playing a land and casting a card you were gonna cast anyway.
1: Yeah, but Elder Gargaroth gets you a land, gets you a three-three. Elder Gargaroth adds plus three, plus three to the board every turn if you want to, and if your opponent attacks you, it adds even more to the board if you feel like it.
2: I don't see why this card is better than Elder Gargaroth. I really don't. Because, well, first of all, the devotion is nice, and I know it has the same devotion as Elder Gargaroth. It's they both add two devotion to Green or But being able, the thing Elder Gargaroth doesn't do, it doesn't let you make extra mana. It doesn't you're make you already making so much. So why not make more? Instead yeah, of just, can- It just it just sounds
1: like greed. On turn is- four I have only twelve mana. I would rather have sixteen.
2: It is greed. And you know what? Mono Green is a greedy deck. You wanna put a Hydra as early as possible onto the board with as high of a count as you can and if that means having to run a couple of shayas so that instead of putting a 16 16 trampler on the board i put a 20 20 trampler on the board i'm gonna do it because that's what green is all about make the big hydra make a ton of mana cast everything you want every turn and win and that is exactly what a shaya does
1: yeah but- I feel like you go turn you you in the slot every time. I'm thinking when I hear Ashaya, I think like Elder Gargaroth is better. If you player Ashaya and you make your Hydra extra large, mm-hmm. that means the the blowout of it being killed by like a fatal push is even higher because you've got this vanilla beatstick that they can chump block. Whereas Elder Gargaroth is also just a huge threat by itself. Like, the main problem I have with Ashaya is that it has no keywords. And Elder Gargaroth is trample, vigilance, reach. Three very relevant, very powerful keywords. And Ashaya just sits there. And if it dies, your strategy just crumbles. It's like a Nyssa that they can kill with a Heartless Act. Yeah,
2: we're not going to agree on this. No, I... I don't think we'll ever agree. I think no. this card
1: is almost... is just about good enough for Commander. That's where I evaluate
2: this card. I would, I would go so far as to say... Give it a week after Zendikar launches. We will see a Shaya in every single green shell that exists. And she will stay there for a very long time.
1: I have a Myel Commander deck. Which is a Commander deck that cares about creatures with power 5 or greater. This is not going in. Like I, I don't think this card is good, like at all. But we'll see. We'll see. Now, Maybe I'm wrong. wrong. Maybe I come on next week and we cover the the top five, or like we cover the challenges, or like we cover uh, yeah the weekend challenge. Not next week, cause it won't be out. It's gonna be like seven out of eight decks were mono green with four Ajaya, and I will. You know what? If that happens, set so like seven top or a ridiculous number, and multiple of them, four of a Shaya, I might just order one and eat it. <laughs> like, I'm almost willing to make that bet aside that I think it's bad and I think you shouldn't eat the cards because, like, the ink. But I would almost do it. I would almost make
2: that bet. Now, I <laughs> will say, if you play green and modern, and I know we're not the modern perspective, but I just, I have to tell you this, do not play a Shaya in modern green and mono green in modern. Because Blood Moon is a thing. And Blood Moon is actually an Ashaya kill spell. If, if they cast Blood Moon, your Ashaya literally goes to zero. Yeah, in- it goes to zero. So do not play this in Modern if you expect anybody to be playing Blood Moon. Because that will just kill your Ashaya. So, it's a wasted card if they're playing uh, Blood Moon.
0: I'm just going to... Get in between you guys now before you uh, make this another three hours of a uh, Shia is she good or bad? We well, got for... this discussion before people. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm gonna uh, we're gonna go in and wrap up. That was our top ten list. We will revisit these cards in the near future multiple times um, to try and get a uh, get a gauge on if we were right or wrong. And uh, yeah, uh, as always, I would like to thank everyone for listening. I'd like to thank everyone for giving their uh, feedback through Reddit, through the server, people joining the server, talking about the podcast with us. It's always wonderful to hear people saying they joined the server because of the podcast. And uh, yeah, we're excited to keep growing. We're excited to keep, uh, keep going. Uh, this was wonderful to have the crew back on. Uh, Alex, welcome back. Thank and you. And uh, uh,
1: the guys who replaced me, Adrian, and sorry, his name slips me. Tenme. Tenme. They were great. Good to have them on. Uh, I, uh, I felt like they were very appropriate, good replacements, and uh, well done, lads.
0: Yeah. But uh, like, like I said, thanks again for everyone uh, for listening, and uh, we will have to see you guys next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.